This is Sound Only, a Recapables mini-series about Neon Genesis Evangelion, now streaming on Netflix. I'm Justin Charity. And I'm Micah Peters. We're your sound-only co-hosts here to record our deepest, darkest, most passionate analysis about one of the greatest TV shows ever made. This is our fourth episode of Sound Only, covering the TV episodes 15 through 21. Micah, why did we do this to ourselves? We are covering seven episodes of television in single podcast. We, we're doing this because Ooh. because we love this show, and also because we are we don't love ourselves probably as much as we should. We don't, and this is great because this is a really a stretch of the show where characters. It, it um, starts getting weird, yeah, man. It's, it's, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it gets a, it gets a little off the rails a little bit. Uh, We're going to get into a lot of self-loathing. And- <laughs> <laughs> a lot of self-loathing and self-destruction and things inflicted on the self. <laughs> uh, abortive attempts at intimacy and things of that nature. Last episode, we ended on this note. We ended on a conversation between Gendo and Fiyutsuki in Gendo's office where uh, Gendo and Fiyutsuki start hinting at a lot of like really pretentious sounding terms <laughs> and uh, they start talking about Sele some more. They start talking about the human instrumentality project. They introduce this thing called the Lance of Longinus or the Spear of Longinus rather. Uh, and and thankfully, <laughs> thankfully the first episode we're covering now begins with a very efficient conversation between uh, Gendo and Fiyutsuki where they're doing a sort of check-in and they're talking about Sele and they're talking about Sele being let's say suspicious and dissatisfied with Nerve. Um, what, are the, what are the main things they hit on in that conversation? Uh, they're mainly talking about the I guess Nerve's accountability to the Human Instrumentality Council as well as with the uh, Sele, Sila. I mean, like, I'm pretty sure that Fuski pronounces it differently at least four times in the actual yeah. Netflix dub. But anyway. Sila. 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 Yeah, but anyway. I'm used to calling it Sila. Yeah, but sure. We'll... Anyway, like, it's <laughs> basically, we are, we are meant to understand that despite all of the mishaps and uh, genuine human tragedies that have occurred to this point, things are proceeding according to plan. Um, And also, Nerve is at odds with Sila, and that's basically all you need to know. Um, I think there's that, but there's also... Okay, Nerve is basically at odds with Sila, but... Also, Gendo, I wouldn't say Fiyutsuki is at odds with Gendo, but I will say that we are seeing, between the end of the previous episode and then this beginning... Fiyutsuki's kind of uh, pleased with himself as far as Sila's displeasure with Gendo goes. He's just like, yo, he's just like, yo, I heard that you might be getting replaced, oh boy. (laughs) I just felt like I needed to bring that, you know, like to your attention. Yeah. Yes. Now, how are you going to uh, act? And, Get- <laughs> and Gendo's brushing him off, though. Gendo is like, ah, everything is proceeding according to plan. Let those fools worry about me if they want to. You know, he's sort of, he's he's getting really into himself. And Fiyutsuki's like, all right, all right, I guess, bro. You do you. Uh, but Gendo and Fiyutsuki's conversation ends with uh, an unresolved note about Kaji. 
Um, and Futsuki brings Kaji up. And Futsuki's kind of like, this guy so Kaji, is just he's shady. He's, he's just doing some shit. He's climbing around in, in shafts and and pressing buttons and and getting into secret places. And what should we do about this? And you know, it's just like let him do whatever he feels like, man. Just yeah, it's just like it's not a big deal. It's fine. And I think the way they bring him up is even. Imb- I don't even know that they specifically say him. No, they just say that every time man. Kaji gets brought up. Yeah, that man. Yeah. They they say mm, that man is getting into a lot of business. You know. <laughs> Um, every time somebody who is actually read into the the secret dealings of Nerve refers to Kaji, they always use some euphemism. <laughs> but it's always made clear that they're talking about Kaji because the, it cuts to Kaji. <laughs> 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 uh, but yeah, so after this conversation between Gendo and Fuyutsuki, uh, we turn to Kaji, who is actually in Kyoto. And he's in a weird barn, and he's snooping around this empty barn-like structure. Uh, and he peeks outside and there's a woman sitting on a stoop and she and Kaji have this very, again, it's Kaji's doing his spy shit and he's having a very over the shoulder conversation. Over the shoulder through the crack of a door. Uh, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Like I can't, I can't really under, like, I don't know what this rendezvous message would have been like. Like, I mean, come meet me here at this place where there's a chicken coop and (laughs) let's have quiet hushed words about the world and how it's organized right and specifically kaji is investigating uh, an institution known as the marduk institute it's as mysterious to the viewer as it is to kaji in that moment um but what what kaji and his intelligence source establishes that the marduk institute is it basically is part of of uh, a weird arrangement of shell companies that all sort of trace back to Nerve. Part of what makes this... Kaji is, frankly, kind of helpful to the viewer because one thing that in the beginning of the series is kind of unclear is just what the fuck is the difference between Sele and Nerve? Exactly. <laughs> and that's basically what Kaji is investigating. He's sort of investigating... The, he's investigating the the power. I won't call it a power vacuum, but it's it's clear these two organizations are operating kind of in in step, but kind of out of step. And the Marduk Institute, insofar as it is uh, responsible for selecting uh, selecting and recruiting the Ava pilots, right? It's sort of Kaji is trying to. He's trying to make sense of of Nerve's influence over the Marduk Institute, but also Sele's influence over the Marduk Institute. And this is all complicated by the fact that uh, Kaji is working for Sele, but he's also a double agent for Nerve, but he's also a triple agent for the Japanese government. Uh, so all of this stuff is a, is a mess of intelligence at the moment, but don't worry, it'll make more sense as we go along. But just know that for now, Kaji is off in Kyoto. He's not even sneaking around Nerve at this point. He's, you know, he's taking a whole tour of Japan and he's in a barn with the lady in a straw hat. But while, I mean, while, while Kaji's sneaking around in Kyoto, at what point, like, Asuka leaves Kaji a voicemail. And he, she, Asuka leaves Kaji this voicemail where she, at the beep, screams <laughs> she screams very loudly and acts like she's being attacked by um, someone yeah she's just like ah, she, it's, get away from me pervert i mean she's clearly just asuka is really leaning into her crush on kaji in a way that just feels very 
uh, in this moment, it feels silly. This will we'll we'll revisit this some more throughout the series, but in this particular moment, it feels silly. And actually, Hikari comes up to Asuka in the hallway at school, and is like, "All right, well, coincidentally, uh, I have this guy that maybe I'd want to set you up on a date with." And Asuka's like, "Well, Kaji, I guess Kaji's out of town. Like, maybe I should go on this date." Um, so at this point, Hikari and Asuka are pretty close friends and Asuka gets set up on a date and uh that I wow <laughs> I, I don't know what to I don't know what to think of this right because it's sort of I don't know all the scenes at school in Ava feel very self-contained right yeah. and it and for some reason when Hikari brings up the idea of Asuka going on a date this I don't know Ava's set in this world where you just don't imagine people go on dates. You, well, it feels almost, like you're at the end of the world. It's definitely yeah. It's it's difficult to imagine, like what? Well, it's difficult to imagine what daily life looks like outside of outside of school, outside of Nerve, outside of you know when Tokyo Three goes into full like grid lockdown when an angel shows up, right? So right. it's kind of. The, the like say at the beginning of the of the blackout episode the beginning of episode 11 where everybody's running errands and going to the dry cleaners and doing this and the other thing that seems that seems like such a novelty just because that's right. not a thing that you would you would that's not a thing that you th- is easy to think of in this setting i guess yeah it, it like this is happening at the end of the world so it's just like what what so we're just going to go to the movies and and like, you know, whisper sweet nothings to each other, talk about how we like stuff. Well, earlier in the series, you see characters go to the movies, but it's specifically framed as like everybody's kind of bummed out. They're just there to like make out. It's just everybody's a quiet, there. dark place that is air conditioned, not necessarily right. like I'm enjoying this movie or whatever. The show sort of doubles down on this in the next scene where um, during... One of the Ava, I think it's during a unit one activation test, Ritsuko and Masato are just having idle chatter. They're not even really talking that much about unit one. And they're, Masato's like talking about a wedding that her and Ritsuko are going to. And she's talking about how her, uh, Masato's talking about how her dresses or one of her old dresses doesn't fit. Um, and Ritsuko and Masato are just talking about, you know, getting older, you know, the two friends who met in college and they're getting older and their dresses fit different and they're sort of reminiscing about the passage of time. But they also talk about Shinji and Gendo who are meeting tomorrow. They're meeting the day after this activation test and they they kind of talk about Shinji and Gendo in these hushed tones of like, oh God, they're supposed to spend time together tomorrow. Like This is really going to mess gonna go. everything up for us. Yeah, it's just like... It's <laughs> right, right. Just, this is about to make right. our jobs a lot harder. <laughs> this. Right, right. It, and, and like right after this activation test, uh, we see Shinji headed to the elevator where he runs into Ray, And Shinji's just asking Ray, like with this sense of, you know, Shinji's supposed to be hanging out with his father the next day. Shinji asks Ray, like, what is my father like? Is how he puts it. What's my father like? Um, and we know Ray spends time with Gendo. We know that Ray has rapport with Gendo. We've seen it. We've seen it. We, we it. know it. <laughs> I we have it. seen it. Um, and Shinji's just like, well, you you've spent more time with my father than I spend with him. You know, at least lately. What's my father like? 
and Ray, Ray's like, what are you talking? I don't, it's just like, I don't yo, know, man. What's wrong the with your eyes, of- man? Yeah, <laughs> she, she sort of, she, she seems like she doesn't understand the question, and then she seems su- surprised at her own inability to understand, like to to produce an answer. She's just sort of like, I don't really know what your father is like. Um, which is just a strange. It's an objectively strange it's, answer. It's a it's a how. strange answer because it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel dismissive. It doesn't feel right. she's not like hiding she's, anything. Either. Yeah, it doesn't feel accusatory or anything. It's just literally like the the poverty of like my vocabulary is such that I literally cannot give you an answer to that question. But importantly, Ray sort of. She can't answer the question, but she realizes that earlier in the day when uh, all the kids were at school, uh, Ray at one point in homeroom is like wringing a washcloth as all the kids are, are, are cleaning up the room. And Shinji just sort of stares at her. And it's the shot where you have all of this soft light pouring in from the window and Ray is on her knees in class. Uh, and she's leaning over a bucket and she's wringing out a washcloth and Shinji just really focuses hard on this moment. And Ray just asks Shinji, like, oh, is that is that why you were staring at me in class earlier today? Because you wanted to ask me about your father. And Shinji's just like, oh, I was staring at you in class because I, I don't know. There was just something about how you were wringing out the washcloth that y- you seemed like a mother, is what he says. Uh, and Ray, Ray... I think she blushes in that moment. Yeah, she and Shinji. Shinji keeps it going. He's like, maybe you'd you make a be good a great ha- mother. Yeah, it's just like you'd be a great mother. You make a great does, housewife yeah, someday. And then Ray's like, stop it. <laughs> Ray, Ray says, <laughs> she stop, said that's stop a, that's ridiculous. Like, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. She does, um, but she blushes in that moment. And there's something again. She in this moment, it's so funny because Ray actually feels under a barrage of emotions that aren't that emotive. But that certainly confuses her. She doesn't know how to talk about Gendo, and she doesn't know how to respond to Shinji describing her as motherly. I mean, in fairness, not a whole lot of people would know how to respond to that. It's a weird thing to say. Back in the apartment, though, Asuka's getting ready for this date, though. <laughs> it's like the day before this date, though. She's on the floor, and Masato walks in late from work, and Asuka's like, hey, Masato, by the way, um, could I borrow your lavender perfume? And Masato says, no. <laughs> well, Masato says, um, that that's is, for adults. That, like you, that's for adults. Yeah. It's just you're like, 14. You, you're 14. Not, you know, like, here's some change for the arcade and be back at 10 on the dot. Yes. Yes. Uh, and Asuka does not react well to Masato just blowing her off. It's funny because Asuka doesn't even tell Masato about the date. She just says, can I borrow your perfume? And Masato just sort of immediately intuits that, like, nope, this is not <laughs> for you. Um, but really, more, I mean, she sort of blows Asuka off because she's more so concerned with Shinji when she gets home from work. And she peeks into she peeks into Shinji's room and Shinji's on the bed and he, he sort of immediately, like, turns his back to the door, knowing that Masato is at the door. And Masato just... Masato at this point is just like, I'm, I'm so say sick a few of you. Yeah, it's just like, sorry to interrupt, but. <laughs> well, I mean, like, it's, it's kind of, well, she, when she's talking to Asuka about the lavender perfume, she also is just kind of like, yo, is Shinji here? And Asuka's just like, he's been hiding in his room. Uh, mm, like, I don't yeah. understand why he doesn't just get it over with and say he doesn't want to talk to his dad at all. 
And Masato's just like, no, like he he does want some sort of relationship with his father, which is why this is so difficult. Um, but when she does slide the door open, she 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 does begin in this like very soft tone about just like, hey, it's gonna be fine. It's it's just you know you know this is this is your dad we're talking about. It'll be fine, you know. And uh, he is Shinji is not not psyched about it. And at this point, Masato is just over his bullshit. It's just kind of like, listen, why don't you just, you're just going to have to be, be a man and confront your father and just go to your mother's grave tomorrow and have a nice family moment and stop whining about it all of the goddamn time. Right. She's not that harsh. She's not that harsh. It's not even confront. It's just, Listen, I know this is hard, but you gotta, you just gotta, you gotta do, do it. This. Yeah, it's just this is like, a, well, is it, okay. This is, I think the better, the better way to characterize it is that this is a very like rip the bandaid off conversation. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's fair, but we don't, we don't immediately turn to uh, Gendo and Shinji's day together. We actually turn to the wedding that Ritsuko and Masato were discussing earlier, and. You know, I mean, the show doesn't even show the way. It just cuts to the wedding reception, which is all we're here for and all they're here for, really. Um, and Ritsuko and Masato are at the wedding reception. They're at dinner. Uh, they're, at, they're at a table together. And Kaji's supposed to be there, too. Remember Kaji, who was sneaking all around Kyoto. And he he eventually shows. He shows late. up late. He has a shade. Looking, like, looking like trash. He looks like, just, he looks like trash. Just, his, like, his suit is. It, his shirt is all rumpled. His tie is like all askew. He's, he hasn't shaved in two weeks. Yeah. And Masato specifically seizes on the fact that he hasn't shaved. And Masato just starts, you know, taunting him and being like, ugh, you are such a mess. Get the fuck out of here. And they start like fighting kind of playfully at the table. And Ritsuko makes a point of describing Masato and Kaji as an old married couple, uh, which only makes things worse. Um, so this is this is the sort of fun jaunt away from nerve that's happening. Uh, while in the next scene, Shinji and Gendo are together um, in a graveyard. And this graveyard is sort of... Shot very straight. It's like a mass grave. Like, we talk about a graveyard. It feels like an endless graveyard. But this is one of the first times we've seen Shinji and Gendo together in a, one, in a, like, in a hard familial context where they are clearly at, they are clearly visiting to pay respects to Shinji's mother, Yui Akari. Um... And it is, I think, I mean, this shot is sort of one of the most distinctive shots in the show when they get to the headstone. And Shinji is sort of, Gendo and Shinji are talking. Um, They're talking about how there aren't very many traces of Yui Akari's memory for Shinji. That Gendo basically has to preserve the memory of Yui Akari because... Shinji was relatively young when she passed away, and he just has a much hazier recollection of his mother. Um, but the shot where they're talking is, it's sort of Shinji with one knee to the ground. He's sort of, he's bringing himself very close to the headstone for his mother's grave. And Gendo is standing right behind him, but very tall over top of him. And it just feels like the shot that once again stresses this very stark inequality 
between Gendo and Shinji. It's this very father-son moment that nonetheless preserves the the massive it, distance between Gendo and yeah, Shinji. It's, Even though they're talking kind of casually, yeah, too. It's a it's a father-son moment that feels like an interaction between a boss and an employee. Like it's yeah, it, yes. yeah. It's it's very and again, like the the occasion only like ramps up the atmospheric weirdness of it because it's just like this is we're supposed to be meeting to talk about the memory of this person that we both loved very dearly and we still can't get out of like the email jargon that we that we typically talk in. Gendo is not unsentimental about Yui. Yeah. Um there's a point where Shinji just says, like, he can't remember his mother's face. And, you know, he says forgetting, frankly, allows people to go on living. But there are some things we must never forget. And it's, one, it's got to be, like, the first truly sentimental thing that he's said. He said. Yeah. He's maybe looked sentimental in some of the, the scenes with Ray earlier in the series. But it's certainly the first sentimental thing he says. And it is notable that he says it to Shinji in this case. And... Um, but then immediately after that, he, in very sharp terms, says that there are no photos of Yui Akari. And in fact, there is no body at the grave, that uh, there's just the headstone. There's there's no trace of Yui Akari's body. And so Yui Akari only lives on in Gendo and Shinji's memories. Um, and in that moment, Gendo's like, all right, I got to go. <laughs> He's just like, all He's right. like leaving. No, I mean, I'm like, no, 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 no. The, we, have to, we have to characterize this exactly right. Because immediately <laughs> yeah. after he says, like, you know, well, <clears throat> it sucks that you can't see your mother's face anymore because she only lives on in your memories. And then right then in the background, a hell like a like a helicopter drops down and he's just like, all right, I'm out. Take it easy. Yes. Yeah. And <laughs> And, and well, Shinji tries to prolong it. He says, hey, hey, um, just before you go, father, I'm glad we got to talk. This was great. Well, he pushes his glasses up like he always does and goes, I see. And then just gets on the helicopter and leaves. That like not a not a proportionate response to a comment like that from your son. But again, this is a thing that we've come to expect. And as Gendo is leaving on the helicopter, Shinji notices that. Ray is sitting on the helicopter. And so Gendo is leaving the gravesite for Shinji's mom with Ray and without Shinji. Shinji goes home alone. He makes it back to the apartment. And he, uh, in a kind of delightful moment, sits in the living room of the apartment alone. And he is playing. He's practicing the cello, which, first of all, we didn't know that Shinji plays the cello. Um... But he's playing the cello. He's got this, this, you know, he's got a relieved look on his face. And he's just enjoying having the apartment to himself until Asuka gets home in the middle of his play. Or it's sort of after he's finished playing a bit. Uh, Asuka is like in the doorway and she claps. Um, and she's surprisingly pleasant in this moment, too, I would say. Yeah. Um, Asuka's wearing a cute little outfit. She's wearing like a pink, cute outfit when she gets home and interrupts Shinji playing the cello. And she eventually tells Shinji that about the date that she went on. Um, and mind you, she gets home and it's still sunlight out. Um, and she she's recounting this date. And she and she's talking. She, she's she, yeah, this is really fucked this up. This is like some ill shit. I can't believe like she was like, yeah, I wasn't having fun. And so like, I just kind of 
left while we were in she line left. for the movie. Yeah, no, it was just like no, no, it was a roller coaster. Oh, right, 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 right. They were at, in the, like a fair. They were or at something? a fair together, and they were like you, you are you assume they were walking and talking and this guy probably was just like, all right, this is actually not going terribly. And then they were in line for a roller coaster and she just dipped. Dipped. Just dipped. Out of here. Yeah. (laughs) And that's the thing. That's like, she's describing the kind of date that you think ideally ends at dusk. But it's it's like five five p.m. (laughs) She's home. She's like, yeah. She, She describes the date as boring. She's just sort of like, he... He's kind of boring. Who cares? Uh, yeah, she comes back home and ends up hanging. You know, just out to with. just to note, you know, like this is the kind of thing that you would do when you have a revelation, not just because you are, you know, just bored, as yeah. it were. Yes. Yeah. It's the th- well. Yeah, leaving somebody on a date is super aggressive, and it's not. So, it, again, it feels like there's a reason why she left the date and went home. Exactly. Like she could have left the date and gone to see a movie. She, she could have left the date and went to get ice cream. She would have. She yeah. She left the date and went home to hang out with Shinji Akari. She also feels like she's hung up on Kaji. Uh, she left that voicemail for Kaji before Hikari even set uh, set her up on the date. And Kaji is still very clearly on weighing in her thoughts, still on Asuka's mind. She's still crazy. And I feel like I feel like the date, her boring date. I feel like Kaji is the standard that she's holding that date to. And at the end of the day, you know, this is a boy that she goes to school with and he's just not going to hold a candle to fully grown adult male Ryoi Kaji. Yeah. International man of mystery, Ryoi Kaji. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Now at this point, Asuka and Shinji have the apartment to themselves. And and the show now cuts back. um, the, The show cuts back to the wedding reception Later in the evening, where you got, you know, Masato, Ritsuko, Kaji, the three college friends, all sitting together, and they might have been drinking a little bit. They had a wedding reception, obviously. Uh, Masato's been drinking more than the... Than <laughs> <And> everyone else. <laughs> um, and she she slips out to go to the bathroom. She, you know, she's a little, like... She she needs to relax. Yeah, a it's just bit. like she gets up to you know, like it's uh, she's been sitting down drinking for a while. She gets up and realizes that she has been drinking for a while. It's like you yes. know that the first step is a little wobbly, right? And so you're left with Ritsko and Kaji uh, together, and you know this is a group of three friends, but clearly the central. I mean, in the scene, Masato is sitting in the middle, and it sort of symbolizes the fact that Masato really is the organizing principle of this friend group. And that Kaji and Ritsuko are not totally, like, they're friendly. And Kaji obviously jokingly flirts with Ritsuko sometimes. But there's a little bit of static there. They're the two friends who, if Masato weren't there, they just would probably fall apart. As they, you know what I mean? Like, fall out of contact. Oh, I haven't heard from Ritsuko in years. It would be like that kind of situation. Um, but it's, they end up talking about Kaji and Masato's old relationship finally. And again, we know that we know that Masato is kind of embarrassed by Kaji and you just get this sense of their old relationship having been a fling. But in this conversation, Kaji actually reveals that they were they were like they moved in together at one point. Um and Kaji describes this as a period where he and Masato were playing married as roommates. 
Uh, but then he sort of sighs and wistfully says, but life's more complicated than that. Um, and then he, he, then Kaji is like, oh yeah, by the way, like I was in Matsushiro recently, Ritsuko, I got you this present. And it's this sort of cat pendant and Ritsuko is a, a cat lady. She loves cats. And strangely, Ritsuko in this moment where Kaji is giving her this gift from Matsushiro says, I heard you in Kyoto recently. And what's that about? <clears throat> what's that about? You were in Kyoto. Uh, and Kaji doesn't say much before Ritsuko says, you should be careful. You don't want to fall. You don't want to, you know, like maybe just be, maybe tread a little carefully. Um, and she's clearly threatening Kaji about his investigation in Kyoto earlier in the episode. And it's this very tense, awkward moment that is relieved once Masato returns from the bathroom. And, you know, Masato comes back from the bathroom. They banter a little more. And Ritsuko's like, you know, I gotta go. Like, I'm the, I'm the most washed of the three of us. I'm gonna head back. So Ritsuko leaves. And right after Ritsuko leaves, Masato calls home to the apartment and tells Shinji, hey, don't wait up for me. Um, and Shinji's like, yes, ma'am. And then she's like, Shinji, it's, Why this is you a giving funny the moment. Mickey Mouse voice? I, don't know. I uh-huh. keep doing that. I think in the last episode I did this too. But it's funny because Shinji just, Shinji talks to Masato very briefly on the phone and is like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, fine. Okay, great. Cool. Um, hangs up the phone and Asuka's like, what did she say? And she's like, oh, she just said, don't wait up for her. Like she's out. And Asuka is just furious in that moment. And she's like, don't you know what this means? <laughs> She's like, what are you talking about? And Asuka just very clearly presumes that uh, Masato is out with Kaji and is going to have sexy times with Kaji. And she just <laughs> feels a times. kind of way about it. Well, it's, she, one, it's Asuka feels a kind of way about it. And two, Asuka is annoyed with Shinji for not reading between the lines to she, Well, yeah, it's just that. like very much like I I can't believe that you are this naive and this much of a boy and, you know, Kaji's a man that I am not with and Masato is and this is a mess of a, a bunch of things that are just making, conspiring to make me very angry. Asuka has this wild fantasy of or this nightmare. She's just... Oh, they're clearly going out to drinks together, and Kaji's going to end up with Masato. But then the next cut is to Masato vomiting in an alley, and Kaji <laughs> being like, "Oh no, this is uh, you know, a great state." Yeah, it's just like I can't. <laughs> too old for this, man. Too old for this. Um. So yeah, after Masato vomits in an alley, Kaji and Masato go for a walk, and you know Masato's just trying to walk it off. And Kaji's trying to be there for her while she walks it off. And Kaji's actually carrying Masato on his back. And Masato, uh, eventually he lets her down and Masato takes her heels off and they're, they're walking down. They're walking down the street together. And Masato is just kind of venting while Kaji listens. And Masato is reminiscing about her and Kaji's old relationship in kind of a... She's she's half apologetic and half accusatory. Yeah, well, half I mean, like her- it's it's more so that okay, this is a very she frames their relationship in a very selfish way. I, it's very like she's she's just like I was the problem. I did this, but also you did this, but I did this, and this is I am so terrible, and it's kind of 
as she goes on recounting the nature of their relationship, <clears throat> you realize that she kind of has the same thing of that Shinji has about like, you know, I the his entire thing about I am just ill-equipped to live. Like I don't understand how to interact with people. This is just not a thing that I'm good at. And right. it's like in the same way that like I'm not good at relationships because XYZ. And it's just like you are not special. You have to work on your problems <laughs> in the same yeah, way. But, yeah, but it's also the, I think the interesting dynamic in the scene is that yeah, Masato's doing that and it's selfish in a way because she's sort of taking, she's describing, she's ostensibly describing a relationship between two people, but she describes it entirely in terms of a single person's role in it. And yeah. meanwhile, though, Kaji really isn't saying very much. So in a, in a way, he's sort of, he's being irresponsible in so much as he's not really doing much to sort of course correct Masato's recollection of the relationship. He's trying to be a good ex by letting Masato vent. But it does feel like he is kind of hiding in those silences where he's just like, I'm not going to contest this or I'm not going to give an alternative recollection of this relationship. Especially once Masato gets to the the stretches of this conversation where she starts talking about her dad, who we we already know she has a, a very complicated relationship with. And... A lot of her hangups about Kaji rest on Kaji reminding her of her own father. Masato is kind of accusing Kaji of being too much like her own father. But she also gets worked up remembering her father. She's on the verge of tears and she's just sort of falling apart. And in that moment, Kaji comforts Mas Masato by just grabbing her and kissing her and ending the conversation by kissing her. Like, it's a very long kiss. We're not talking about a cheek kiss. We're talking about a mouth kiss. The, the stuff of Oscar Langley Soryu's nightmares. Um. <laughs> Slam cut back to Masato's apartment where Shinji and Asuka are hanging out across the room from each other. Shinji is listening to music and resting against the door sill, and Asuka's at the table just absolutely sick with longing. Um... And boredom. And I feel boredom. like it's a mix and of boredom, boredom and longing. And boredom. Boredom and longing. Um, and then she's just like, you know, we're not doing anything. You're not doing anything. You've never kissed anybody. Let's just kiss. Let's just try it out. See how it feels. And uh, there's just kind of like this playful jostling back and forth between the two of them for a second where us is just like, I mean, like, why don't you want to do it? Are you scared? Are you... You know, like, do you feel do you feel a kind of way about kissing a girl on the anniversary of your mother's death, which is yeah, kind that's of direct being playful. Yeah, it, it gets kind of that was rude. yeah, kind of direct and rude. Um, yeah. And Shinji's just like, I'm not scared. I'm you know, like, I ain't no punk about my shit. And then Asha's just like, all right, well, get ready. And then like she, so she makes her way across the room, and they bring each other in close and well, her approach across the room is very aggressive yeah it's not i mean like it's not where, like it's yeah. it is like she's walking across the room with purpose not like and with, she has like her fist balled up exactly yeah <laughs> it's like not in any way like there's not a it's it's an impossible like if you are on the receiving end of that not a really easy situation to read right um so she comes in hot she comes in hot 
Uh, so she gets in close and is just like, hey, stop breathing through your nose. It tickles. And then grabs his nose and then goes in for the kiss. And it the camera pans down to basically Shinji's hands balled up or like and or contorted and discolored. And there's a brief moment after the kiss is over where like they have the the weird dark coloration of the eyes thing that they do when somebody is kind of turning inward. Uh, but it's like very quick. It's like you have to you have to be looking in order to catch it. And then Asuka runs to the bathroom and starts gargling water. And she's just like flipping her own thing onto Shinji. She's just projecting onto Shinji like, kissing is not something you do because you're bored. Yeah, yeah. Like this whole thing was <laughs> stupid. I don't know. Whose like, idea was this <laughs> yeah. shit? So this kiss is over. Asuka is not feeling it. And... The door opens, the front door opens, and it turns out to be Kaji, uh, who has carried Masato back. Masato is passed out at this point. And Kaji just deposits Masato onto her bed in her bedroom. And is like, all right, guys, it's late. I got to go. And Asuka just runs to Kaji. It's like, oh, you're here, Kaji. And she grabs his sleeve. And, you know, Kaji just wants to go home. He's just very tired and has been hauling Masato around. And... Kaji just, in this moment, very pointedly, with very few words, just brushes Asuka off his arm. And Asuka, it's the shot of her face once Kaji does this. And it's sort of, you don't even see Kaji's face because Asuka is short. She's clearly being framed as a child in this moment who's grabbing onto an adult man's elbow. Kaji brushes her off and is like, I gotta go, guys. Good night. And Asuka, the look on her face, she just seems so, she takes it so personally that Kaji does not even want to spend five minutes talking to her. And she smells the perfume, the lavender perfume that she wanted to borrow earlier. She smells the lavender perfume on Kaji's sleeve. And you just feel it all coming together in Asuka's head in that moment based on her earlier reaction to Masato's phone call that all Asuka can think about is Masato and Kaji sitting in a tree, K-I-S-S-I-N-G, and she's just devastated. I like how you like you 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 were basically like honing in on, on the way that she takes it so personally, like the way that it is on her face versus like this being like smelling the lavender perfume on Kaji's sleeve. It's more so like I felt that it was like I, no one, really, no one, none of you, nobody wants to, nobody wants to hang out with me, <laughs> like versus it being a thing about about Kaji and Masato together. That is part of it, but I don't think that that was the largest part of it. We turn to a very different kind of scene, a sort of more conventionally Evangelion, we're at Nerve HQ scene, uh, where Gendo is in the part of Nerve HQ known as Central Dogma. And he's looking at Ray, who is encased in a weird tube. <laughs> She's encased in a weird tube in a basement, and the tube appears to be filled with the LCL, right? She's just, she's basically floating in this orange liquid, and Gendo just looks very sort of conspiratorial. You know, it's like because they're in this basement, Ray is in a strange tube, Gendo has that there's look no on his music face that Gendo always and... has. Yeah, there's <laughs> yeah. no music, right. 
And it's like, ah, yes, part of, you know, my plan is <laughs> oh, proceeding. Wonderfully. You know, the Fraser Crane voice, all that shit. In a different part of Central Dogma, uh, we see Kaji, right? And mind you, Kaji's, he's back. It's the work day now. He's back on his sneaking around shit. And he swipes a key card. Or he prepares to swipe a key card. And then you hear a gun cock behind him. And it's Masato. Masato sticks Kaji up. Uh, and Kaji's like, wow, uh, <laughs> how's the hangover? <laughs> yeah, Masato's just like, break yourself, fool. And Kaji's just break like, your... oh, mm-hmm. okay. I just, somebody has, you know. Never somebody... done it in Central Dogma. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, never done it in Central Dogma. Ah, <laughs> uh, you must have taken some B12 this morning. Yeah, but but Masato's got a gun to Kaji's back. And Masato's like, listen, you work for Nerve. I also found out that you work for the Japanese government. You're up to some shit you shouldn't be up to. What's going on here? Why are you down here? Uh, also, can you swipe me in too? Because I don't have—I'm not allowed access to this place either. Like, what is here? <laughs> and so, so well, Kaji specifically says, "Listen, you think you know who I work for, but let me tell you, Gendo Akari is using me. So step off. And two, Gendo Akari is lying to you." And so Kaji swipes the key card that is in his hand. You get the impression that he's not supposed to have. Kaji swipes the key card, and this door opens. And they step in to this very large chamber, and they see a, a giant, let's call it an angel, and we'll see a giant white angel. What is the name of that monster from Ghostbusters? That is what appears to be on this cross. <laughs> and Kaji describes this the this big angel that's nailed to a cross as Adam. Oh, 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 oh. It, it looks like Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. Yeah. It right. Looks, it's, yes. 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 But with a mask, with a really cryptic seven-eyed mask on it. But otherwise, yeah, it's giant Marshmallow Man nailed to a cross uh, in, the, in, in Terminal Dogma. Uh, and that's sort of our big cliffhanger is that we keep hearing all this talk of, you know, remember when the nanomachines angel attacked and Gendo was worried about, oh no, it's getting too close to Adam. We got to cover shit up. We got to do all this shit. And so finally we're in the depths of nerve and we see an angel nailed to the cross and we're under the impression, right? That we finally found Adam. At least we, at least we, the viewer found it before the angels found it. Thank God. So the next episode, Splitting of the Breast, brings us back to one of the favorite conversations among the Ava pilots these days, which is about why do you pilot the Ava, right? And yeah. also about the idea of the kind of praise that matters to the Ava pilots. Um, praise being pretty important because it, it kind of is the instrument by which people like Masato and Ritsuko it's sort of the way they get Asuka and Shinji Especially less so Ray, but certainly Shinji and Asuka to sort of fall in line um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, for this really shitty job where these teenage kids have to risk death every time they go out to fight an angel. Um, but praise is this; it is the substance which which gets these these unruly teenagers to fall in line with the plot of this show and the nefarious forces at Nerve. And early in the episode. Uh, Shinji is undergoing one of the, the synchronization tests overseen by Ritsuko with Masato is also present. And Ritsuko says, wow, 
Shinji is fucking shit up. He is rivaling Asuka's sync ratio. Does he top it or does he does he is he, he tops just it in closer? this episode? He oh, tops it in this right. episode because it's like after a few episodes, now Shinji has finally exceeded Asuka Langley Soryu to become the best Ava pilot who has ever lived. In in terms of like he tested higher. Um, yes. this is right. which is, I mean, like a crucial thing that comes up uh later on. But yes, there is the 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 scene where it's just like, you know, Masato's just quietly telling Ritsuko, like, hmm, hopefully this will give him some more confidence. And right. she just beams into his cockpit and it's just like, hey, Shinji, guess what? You you're doing you did amazing. And he's just like, oh, wonderful. And everything's good and hunky dory. And <clears throat> I mean Masato he, thinks this shit is sweet. She's Masato's, like, I'm complimenting yeah. Shinji. Maybe he'll fucking, you know. Be a little bit more cooperative. Maybe this. Maybe things are finally going smoothly. Uh, and that's not really what's happening in this moment because two things. Two things happen. First, Asuka obviously catches wind of Shinji exceeding her synchronization ratio, and she's pissed. <laughs> she's not very happy about it. Well, it's very like it begin like they're in the locker room. Her and Ray are in the in the locker room after they're after the sync test is over. And Asuka begins with this sort of extremely passive-aggressive, backhanded compliment uh, towards Shinji, just talking about, like, oh, well, I guess, like, you know, he's, I can't believe he surpassed us that easily. Like, at least us, we, the two of us, us girls can get to slack off now. Yeah, she tries to do some fake feminist yeah, bullshit where exactly. she's, like, <laughs> she's trying to enlist Rei in resentment of Shinji, and Rei is it doesn't even speak Asuka's language, so she's kind of <laughs> like, "All right, whatever you say." Hey, man, I guess. And <laughs> yeah, and then immediately after Ray leaves, like Asuka, it gets more dire after that. She's just like punching her locker, and it's just like, "I can't believe it!" Like this is where this is how she really feels about the situation. We've seen Asuka overreact negatively <laughs> to Masato's praise for Shinji, uh, but then the problem really materializes for Shinji actually. Once the next angel, Leliel, attacks. Um, and Leliel is a giant black and white ball with a strange sort of visual pattern in the sky. And the nerve deploys all three pilots. They deploy Shinji, Asuka, Ray out to fight Leliel. Leliel is kind of not really mounting an offensive campaign yet. It's sort of just floating in the sky and, and sort of intimidating everybody. So they deploy all the Ava units. And Masato is trying to Masato's trying to come up with a plan like normal, but Shinji at this point is just full of himself. He's like, nah, you said I got the best sync ratio. Yeah. Asuka kind like, of well, goads him into it though. Yeah, like, that's right. Yeah. It's like, it's like Asuka's like, yeah, you have the best sync ratio. Why don't you go handle it, fucking Shinji? And Masato's trying to rein the situation in a little bit. He's like, all right, well, we can, I get it. Like, you guys feel kind of jealous at this point because of the sync test but and then she's trying to to sort out a real plan to attack the angel and then shinji starts talking reckless about how fighting is a man's job and he's <laughs> just like a thumbs up to masato and masato's like you know what you go attack the angel how about that you go out there and fight this shit if you want it's wanna... just, just like really funny that he says this is like is, you said that fighting is a man's job but it's just kind of you know this is very 
like son has been left at home with his sister and mother and the man and the dad is just like, you're the man of the house now. It's just like he processes yeah. it in that fashion. Yeah, he does. Man of the house. He thinks he's the man of the house. And so Shinji runs up on Leliel. He runs up on this big ass ball in the sky and he just lets, you know, he lets a clip fly from the pallet gun underneath Shinji and underneath just the city in general where they're fighting. They're fighting, you know, they're fighting between skyscrapers with this angel. They're using the buildings as cover. A big black hole just opens up across the ground under unit one and just swallows Shinji. And everyone's like, what the fuck is this? And you see, you see unit zero and unit two scrambling they're 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 trying to fire at the angel but they're really just trying to stay on top of the building so that they don't sink into the ground after a point shinji's just disappeared unit one has just disappeared uh nerve reels up the the umbilical the electrical cord and there's just nothing at the end of it shinji has disappeared into the earth slash disappeared into the angel maybe into this weird black hole that's just covered the ground. Yeah. They make some sort of like, you know, again, Ritsuko and her fucking science later on, mm -hmm. they make some sort of explanation about how the angel might have created a portal into an alternate reality that it itself governs and it is created an impossible number space, quote unquote. Nobody yeah. knows what that means. No but really, functionally, all you need to know is that the the angel projects a giant shadow on the ground that absorbs things into itself above ground. Right. And the only thing you really need to know about that space is Shinji's there. He is alive. He's severed from his power supply. So he's sort of running on battery that's only powering life support systems, but he's just in the cockpit and he's sort of like, I don't know what to do. I can't move. There's nothing, there's nowhere to go. Uh, and so he's just waiting. He's in the cockpit. Uh, he's got several hours for his life support system. And, you know, back at Nerve, they're sort of guessing at what is going on with Shinji. And they, they, they make these estimates based on the battery and based off the life support systems. And you see from Shinji's point of view, the LCL start to turn sour and you start to see that as time passes, Shinji starts to like suffocate and it, it you know, the LCL already looks like piss, but after a point, it just feels like the, the ecosystem of the Evangelion cockpit has broken down and he's kind of just sitting in his own piss. And he's just gonna die. <laughs> it, 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 like it looks, the, the, the cockpit, the water in the cockpit begins to look like you know, scummy pond water. Um, yeah, yeah. And at this point, he begins to hallucinate. The hallucinations are these kind of frantic cuts of uh, Shinji as a child on the train platform uh, that he was left on by his father after the passing of his mother. He begins to have really involved conversations with himself. Um... And there's uh, some kind of pseudo-philosophical mumbo-jumbo about the the self that exists in others or the reflection of yourself in others and right. how all of these reflections make up the thing that is yourself. Shinji is having a conversation with maybe maybe he is talking to himself. Maybe he's talking to himself reflected in uh, Lelio. Um 
So you're not sure whether the angel is trying to invade the Ava or whether this is just a conversation that Shinji's having within himself. Whether it's just like some elaborate torture sequence. Exactly. Um, but but while Shinji is tripping out, as it were, you know, we see that back in reality, Asuka and Rei, they're, they're out of the Ava units and they're outside and it looks like they're they're waiting to be deployed again while Ritsuko figures out what even is going on. Asuka's just ranting about Shinji and how he was so arrogant and how, oh, he had the best sync ratio, but then he went and fucked up this fight with the angel and got himself sucked into the earth. And Ray is just staring at Asuka and Staring through Asuka. Yeah, staring through Asuka. Ray in this moment decides to interrogate Asuka's reasons for piloting the Ava. And she just asks Asuka point blank, like, is this why is this why you pilot you pilot the Ava for the praise of others? And it's funny because as the viewer, that's the impression we get, right? From from Asuka's introduction, it feels like she pilots the Ava uh, to be world famous so that everyone will adore her. But in this moment when she's answering Ray, she actually gives a very strange answer to why she pilots the Ava. She says that she only actually cares about praise from herself for herself. It's a very strange construction. She says, she says, no, not of others. I do it because I want to be able to praise myself. And the thing that you seize on in that moment is the fact that she says, I want to be able to praise myself. Yeah. Um, and it's there that you kind of, you finally have like a clear understanding of like where her head is at. Even though like you, you, you know, you are 98% of the way there. Um, but yeah. it's just kind of like, all right, well, now I get it. This is like, you don't know who you are without it. Right. Her self-esteem is clearly wrapped up in this giant robot. Yeah. Uh, and that's probably a bad, it's probably a bad thing. Uh, not a great thing. Meanwhile, on the same platform, Ritsuko and Masato are talking about the mission to recover Shinji from the giant black hole in the ground. And Ritsuko very passively makes it clear that her primary interest is in recovering Unit 1 from the angel, or from the angel shadow is, is how she describes the hole in the ground. And Masato is like, you don't seem like you care about recovering Shinji. And... Ritsuko's like, well, yeah, we need we need unit one. We need to get the robot back. And I can't really guarantee that Shinji's going to be alive. Like, we just need to get unit one back. And Ritsuko and Masato have this big blow up. And Masato has played a role in endangering Shinji and getting him to do shit that he clearly doesn't want to do throughout the whole series. But in this particular moment, Masato loses it and hauls off and slaps Ritsuko real hard. I think it's maybe the hardest slap in this whole show. <laughs> Uh, across the face. And at that point, Ritsuko's like, listen, I know you got promoted to major recently, but uh, I'm relieving you of command on this mission. And she walks away. And Ritsuko goes off to figure out how to recover Unit 1. So Masato does come up with this elaborate plan, and it does not matter what the plan actually is, because just as everyone gets into position, the earth breaks open beneath everyone's feet. And everybody's just like, what's happening? Unit 1 should have no power at all. And yet... Um, out comes Unit 1 in Berserker mode, just ripping the angel apart from the inside. Um, and... It's bloody. Just, it's bloody, it's gross, everyone is terrified. 
including Asuka, who's just like, that's the thing that I'm, you know, like piloting. This is yeah. what I'm this is what I'm riding around in. Yeah, it's it's real. Like it's a Godzilla scream and everything. And it's like there's moment. not it's again, it is a victory that does not feel like one. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and so in this moment, it, there's just the general terror about how Ava Unit One looks as it's ripping out of the angel in the middle of the sky and there's blood spurting everywhere. And even Ritsuko is like, oh, I don't, this looks horrifying. Like, what have we, what have we done by making these things? And the, you know, Shinji had been hallucinating and had looked very weak and had looked like Ava Unit 1 was at the very end of its battery life. It had no juice left. And the last thing Shinji sees before Ava Unit 1 comes tearing out of that shadow is he sees uh, a woman who's very sort of very broadly illustrated. It's, it's sort of like a sketch. It's like a, how a character would be, be drawn in a sketchbook. And so it's only a silhouette of a woman who appears to be his mother talking to him under a tree. And the, the sort of contour of the conversation is made very ambiguous. But what you hear, what you hear Shinji's mother say is, you'll be okay. It's sort of like Shinji's talking and she's trying to she's she's trying to relieve him and she's she's sort of echoing his own words back to him. She says, "You'll be okay." Oh, I'm glad to hear it. And then that moment is when you do the hard cut to uh, Shinji in Unit One busting out of Leliel's shadow, right, right? This massive <laughs> carnage, um, and you know this. It's so it's so visceral and so demented that. Shinji, even though it's this very empowering moment for Unit One, Shinji wakes up in the hospital. He's just like, I don't, I don't really know what happened here. Ray, who has been sitting at his bedside, just waiting for him to come to. You know, other times Ray would be pushing a card in and telling him about when he's supposed to be out of bed for his next mission. Here, she's just sitting, just waiting. There's a point where, there's a point where Ray is saying, like, you should take it easy. Because um, they don't remind you, they don't even know what happened. They don't even know what happened to Shinji. And Ray is like, "You should take it easy." And Shinji's like, "Oh, honestly, I feel fine." And Ray says, "Oh, oh, I'm that's glad good. to hear it. I'm glad to hear it." Um, and when he hears her say, "I'm glad to hear it," it's just kind of like, "What?" It's kind of it's like it's like he can't even believe. It's it's not. He a knows thing those that he, words. Right? He knows those words, but he cannot believe them coming out of Ray's mouth. Right. They also, um, yeah, they don't sound like a thing Ray would say. Yeah. Like the word glad is not like a word that it sounds like she would say. Um, but she clearly echoes the words that mark the end of Shinji's hallucinations. Um, and Ray Lee, it's funny, there's this moment where, where Ray leaves the bedside and walks out into the hallway and Asuka, you see that Asuka's actually hiding outside. Yeah. yeah. She's, and Asuka's she's hiding. Though. Yeah. She's absolutely, she's like, she's. Asuka has been eavesdropping, and she, as the door opens, quickly darts back behind the wall so that, like, Shinji can't see that she's actually concerned about him. Right. And Shinji just chuckles to himself. Elsewhere, some weird sh nerve shit is going on. This is, like, an episode where we kind of understand um, how nerve functions in the broader world and that there are other parts of nerve elsewhere. Uh, there is a facility in Germany, which we know about, but there's also one that is in Nevada, uh, except not anymore, because there was 
an incident where it vanished off of the face of the earth, uh, along with the another Ava unit that was in development. Right. Ava unit four is just obliterated. It's gone. You know, there's a point where Gendo and Ritsuko were talking about the evaporation of the Nevada branch. And they're talking about the first of all, the U.S. government is like, fuck this. You just got a whole what, what the fuck is going on with these Ava units? And they forcibly they say nerve in Tokyo three needs to take Ava unit three off of our hands. We do not want this shit. We're not trying to have giant angel attacks happening here. You take Ava unit three, which was in development in Nevada. So they're clearly going to send Ava unit three over. And Gendo and Ritsuko are back in the chamber with Ray in the LCL tube and they're talking and they're running a test on Ray. And at the end of the test, Gendo, you know, Gendo is like, Ray, let's get, let's get some food. And Ritsuko just, Ritsuko's standing behind Gendo and... Just visibly sick to our stomach. It yeah, is... she looks yeah. shook. She's just it's, like, you, mm, I don't like this, you motherfucker. <laughs> Why don't you take me for food? There's a, there's a weird, like, jealousy to how Ritsuko regards Gendo in this moment when he asks Ray to dinner. Um, but then it the scene cuts immediately from that. <laughs> just leaves us with that, that very strange impression of Ritsuko. Yeah. Uh, strange impression of Risco. Also the softest that, uh, like, the expression on Gendo's face is at any time in this yeah. series. Yes. Um, and, yeah. Again, yeah, Ritsuko is just suffering from a severe case of hate poisoning. Yeah. Um, yes. So, anyway, the, the, US, the U.S. government is, is to nerve is like, y'all got it. Um, and they then have to find a pilot for this Ava unit. Luckily, they already have one. It takes us a moment to get to who the fourth child is. But for now, we spend a bit of time at school with Shinji and Asuka, Toji, Kensuke, Hikari, and they're all in class. And we see this weird dynamic emerging where we see Hikari, who otherwise does not like Kensuke and Toji, or whenever they're shown together, it's very, it's very boys versus girls cooties dynamic. Yeah, she's like, you know, just regarding the boys in class as an embarrassment to the good name of whatever this school is actually called. I forget. But <laughs> right, it's like, right. yeah, it's just, it's, yeah, she is class rep. And these are the unwashed toy poloi. Right, right. Which is why Hikari and Asuka are best friends at this point in the show. But we see this dynamic emerge where actually Hikari is, is clearly awkwardly kind of flirting with Toji. Um, well, I, would it be? Yeah, I go. Okay, it is awkward flirting. But like, yeah, she's, she's crushing on Toji She's hard. crushing. No, no, challenge this. I'm, I'm curious. What's your interpretation of this? No, okay, no, she is, but it's not like a... It's basic. It's not it like is she, basic. It's not, it's not the sort of elaborate, over-determined flirting that Asuka does, where it's like, let's kiss! You know? Yeah, it, it is. This different. is, yeah. Hikari's it's like, will is, you please just talk to me? Like, oh... Yeah. How are you doing? It is cute and traditional and heavy emphasis on the word traditional because the Hikari's way of flirting is to approach Toji after class to be like, hey, uh, I know I don't look at I don't look like it, but I am a pretty good cook. Yeah. And I always have food left over from making 
um, you know, lunch for my older and younger sisters. I have, I have an older and younger sister, by the way, that's some, you know, just, you yeah. know, some, some light information about me, right. uh, that you probably don't know. Right. Um, and like Toji is obviously aloof and completely oblivious to everything. It's just kind of like, Oh, that's a waste of food. Yeah. I could eat those for you. Yeah, totally. Totally. He's he's too, but he's too dumb to. He's too dumb to. He's like he's he's taking everything Kari's saying at face value, but he's too yeah. impatient to to read a little further into the fact that Hikari's trying to forge a relationship with him. Yeah. Um, and there's even a point where there's just a point where uh, Toji remembers that he needs to deliver Ray because Ray didn't come to school that day, and he needs to. He's been appointed to deliver Ray's homework. And Hikari is like offering to walk with him, but he ignores her and asks Shinji to go with him to Ray's apartment. <laughs> yeah, um, that, that, like the, the way it is, is that she's, he's just like, oh, I got to, there's no way I'm going to a girl's apartment alone. And, <laughs> right, and then like Hikari starts to be like, well, I'm, I'm a could. girl. And he's just like, Shinji, Shinji, <laughs> Shinji, Shinji, my man, my man. <laughs> Shinji, my man, come walk with me to Ray's apartment. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the, yeah, Shinji, Shinji and Toji end up going to Ray's apartment. Mercifully, there is there are no weird sexual pratfalls. Like the main thing that happens is they go to the apartment. You know, they leave they leave Ray's homework. Shinji impulsively cleans up Ray's floor. She's got you know because she's got bandages and napkins and shit all over the floor because she lives in this I mean like she's living like a raccoon right it's it's pretty like it's and he's just like I can't take this anymore (laughs) I'm gonna at least put all of these tissues and bandages in a bag Uh, and Ray comes home in the middle of this and again thankfully it's not like a weird situation like it was the first time Shinji was in Ray's apartment Uh, wait what's the I can't remember the thank you part it's like Oh, no, she what? says thank you after he, like, he just goes, hey, I just collected some of your trash for you. I hope you don't mind. And she says thank you. Yeah, that's right. And she says it, Ray says thank you in this way that feels like she's never said it before. Yeah. Like, the words are foreign to her. It's, it's like how you would say a phrase in Spanish class, you know? <laughs> it's it's kind of like, it's how I remember saying phrases in Spanish class, at least. Um, but she's just marinating on this this realization that, oh, this man came into my apartment and cleaned the floor beside my bed. Hmm, I don't know what to make of this. But later on in the episode, we run into Ryo Ikaji, who has found another woman to hit on. <laughs> Maya Abuki from the command center. Um, and, and like when he was hitting on Ritsuko, this this scene mostly happens for Masato to show up and be like, really, dude? Really? 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 Right here? Damn. With 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 her? Come on, man. Is there Come anybody on. that you're not trying to get at? The chain of command, man. Come on, man. And <laughs> Kaji, you know, Masato, Masato's like, well, I mean, while I have you here, because Abuki leaves, she's kind of embarrassed and is just like, why are you hitting on me? So Abuki oh, leaves. I will be reporting this to my supervisor. <laughs> yeah, she reports it to her supervisor. Yeah. That's what you're supposed to do. Um, but Masato's like, well, Kaji, why I have you here? Like, do you have any more uh, intelligence? Because you're a spy? <laughs> Kaji's like, I don't know what you're talking about. But I have learned uh, about the Marduk Institute. And the Marduk Institute it turns out is it is the committee that does the selection of um, potential Ava pilots. Right. And 
based on this conversation with Kaji, what, what, what Masato learns about the Marduk Institute, Kaji gives her a specific piece of information that Masato says, oh, the Marduk Institute is recruiting the Evangelion pilots from Shinji's class. And so that's when we start to pull together the pieces, first of all, of why Ray, because at first you sort of assume, oh, I mean, everyone's dead, right? So I guess the one there's like one school in the city and maybe all the kids go there. But no, you learn that the reason that these kids are all in class together is because they're actually a pool of candidates um, to pilot the Evangelion units. And I think at this point, it does start to become pretty obvious because we know that Unit 3 is coming to Nerve HQ. And we know that the classroom is a candidate selection pool. Why am I being so cautious? <laughs> I feel yeah, like I have I'm afraid no of this yeah, I like, think, but I, like, Toji's I the this. pilot, okay? It's Toji. <laughs> well, Toji. So in the next scene, it's like Toji gets called to the principal's office. And he sits down. He's sort of... It's sort of behind closed doors, but the first person you hear speak, you clearly identify as Ritsuko, being like, oh, you're Toji Suzuhara. Toji Suzuhara. Hmm. How the hell are you, man? How are you, man? And yeah, in that moment, you realize that Toji is brought into the loop. And Toji is the fourth child. Elsewhere, uh, Kinsuke has... Uh, returned to school after a prolonged absence and he's like on vacation or some shit he's like in New York he's in New York he's in New York yeah yeah. and the thing is that like he is once again shaking Shinji down for information that he doesn't have because Kinsuke just knows more about everything than anyone else on the show (laughs) apparently he just Uh, he was just like he was just like, yeah, my, like, did you hear that the entire Nevada branch of Nerve vanished and that there's a new Ava unit coming into Tokyo and that they're selecting a new pilot? And can you put in a good word with me for, with Masato Kins- so that I can, <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's thirsting hard after being an Ava pilot. Yeah. And, you know, like this entire exchange is just Kinsuke throwing out a bunch of information and asking a quasi question at the end of it. And Shinji just being like, I didn't know that, bro. I don't know what you're talking about. And it's not like he's keeping information from Kinsuke. He's just like, I legitimately don't know. I can't answer any of these questions. Right. Like, I'm in the dark about this. Right. But Kinsuke is very desperate to be a pilot. But at this point, we already know who the next pilot is, is. It's Toji. And the episode ends with this shot. Isn't it the shot of Toji outside at dusk on the basketball court by himself? Yeah, getting shots up. He's getting shots up. But he's not getting shots up in this sort of like, ready to go. No, it's it's very like he's pensively like taking free throws. And like there's like it's a shot that happens in three distinct parts. It's like he's thinking... He's thinking about something very deeply while yeah. shooting this basketball. And even even in the terms of thinking deeply, he's not, it, it doesn't look like he sort of, should I do this or not? He just looks forlorn, like, well, I guess this is, I guess this is what it is. Yeah, and it's resignation. It's resignation. Is it he is. is resigned to being the pilot of Evangelion Unit 3. And that's the end of the episode. And... We actually pick back up pretty quickly in the next episode, Ambivalence. Um, we actually see Ava Unit 3 on the way to Tokyo. And it's sort of, uh, it's, it's being carried on this, this stealth bomber. And the stealth bomber flies through a cloud while carrying Ava Unit 3 as its cargo. 
And in the cloud, there is a sort of electrical storm that briefly happens. And it, it sort of, it doesn't, it doesn't attack the Ava or the plane, but it, it's just this blip of electricity that happens that feels very mischievous. Like, mm, yeah, it's just it, like, why would that be there why, if, they, yeah, what if is it that? didn't mean something? Right. Yeah. Right. And then there's this other scene back at Masato's apartment where it's clearly in the morning and Shinji's about to head off to school. Masato's heading off to work. And Shinji's like, hey, where's Asuka? Like, isn't she, like, why, we're supposed to walk to school together. And Masato says, uh, Asuka left already. Uh, you should know that she's probably gonna be avoiding me uh, for this foreseeable future. And Shinji doesn't, Shinji's like, why? What's going on? And Masato, she she very cryptically says, oh, you really don't get how girls work, do you? Um, and she's hinting at the idea that you know, Masato is just dreading the fact that now Asuka just has a huge hang-up about the relationship that she perceives to be developing between Kaji and Masato. And Asuka is just clearly avoiding Masato right now. And it's making things awkward considering that these three people all live together. So you've got Unit 3 on the way. And you've got, you've got Masato and Ritsuko together discussing the pilot of Unit 3. And I want to focus on this conversation for a bit. Micah, wait, so basically, Ritsuko tells Masato, listen, it's, you know Toji? <laughs> you brought Toji on to <laughs> randomly to an Asian You know Toji, that guy that's just been like, you know, just hanging out at your apartment and whatnot. That you know him, right? various times yeah. the show before he had anything to do with piloting the Ava. Well, guess what? He's the next pilot. And sort of, Ritsuko has this very, she doesn't spend a lot of time dwelling on it, but I want us to a little bit. She says, yeah, you know, we talked to him and he only really had one condition. He, he only had one condition for piloting the Ava. And it's that we move the medical treatment of his sister from whatever this public hospital is to Nerve HQ. So basically, Toji is going to pilot the Ava so that his sister gets first class medical treatment. Um, right. And Masato, meanwhile, is thinking about this purely in terms of uh, Shinji, who has just gone through this crazy ordeal being absorbed by an angel like last week. Yeah. And they have no idea where his, where, where his head is at. And now they are about to take one of his best friends and put him in a similar situation. So Masato's just kind of like, ah, this is going to be really hard on Shinji, is all that she can really think about. Unlike all of the other pilots, Toji has a condition. He, he says, I will pilot the Ava if you do this specific thing, if you help my sister. And it creates this very, it creates this very stark contrast, right? Where you, you take somebody like Asuka, right? We've been talking in this episode about Asuka's reasons for piloting the Ava. And Asuka spends a lot of time trying to pretend that she's in control of the reason, like what she wants out of piloting the Ava. But you clearly see that people just use praise to manipulate her, right? Exactly. They just, if you want Asuka and to do something, praise her. Yeah. And it's a similar thing with like, say, for instance, Shinji. Shinji like, had no idea why he was piloting the Ava initially. And when it seemed like as if he were doing it for a very simple reason so that other people don't have to, so that Ray doesn't have to, that was when they decided that they needed to send him away. Like, if it became clearly definable to him outside of 
praise, which he was kind of directed there um, through some combination of Gendo, Masato, and Ritsuko. Um, that is like the only state in which they can really use. They that's the, the only kind of pilot they really have a use for. Um, the same thing with Ray, who knows nothing else. Toji Toji is interesting because he is the he's the pilot. He's the only pilot who comes along, and he says and he's basically saying my reason for piloting the Ava is this very distinct material transactional. You know, you're going to treat my sister, ergo, I'm going to pilot the Ava. And it sort of gives his decision to pilot the Ava, to my mind, at least like a radically different flavor than everyone else. And, you know, in the mix here, you have Toji, who doesn't really want to pilot it, but at least has a very substantial transactional rationale for doing it. And then you have Kinsuke, who's still pestering Shinji about wanting to pilot. Like Shinji at this point doesn't know that Toji is the new pilot. And so Shinji is still kind of half-humoring Kinsuke's pleading for him to be the pilot. Kinsuke desperately wants to be the pilot of Unit 3, and no one's calling him. Kinsuke at this point, is he's launched a full-on public relations campaign to get selected as the pilot of Evangelion Unit 3. And it feels like there's a similar... It feels like there's a reason that Nerve doesn't just go to the class, right? That's just the candidate selection pool and say, well, all of you just, all of you explicitly compete to to be the next AVA pilot, right? It feels like Kensuke almost wants it too much. He wants to be an AVA pilot for the sake of being an AVA pilot. And there is no, he doesn't have the sort of transactional rationale that, that Toji does, but it's almost like he, because he enjoys the idea of combat and he enjoys the idea of piloting the Evangelion too much for its own sake, and because he doesn't have a weird, uh, super dependent conception of praise and what praise will mean to him, it's it's almost like his reasons for wanting to pilot the Ava are too raw and too uh, unpredictable to like or yeah uncontrollable. They're too independent. It, it's like yeah. independent, and it makes it so that Kensuke, as desperate as he is to pilot the Ava, is not somebody who would be able like Nerve wouldn't be able to manipulate Kensuke in the way that they manipulate someone like Asuka because Asuka appears to enjoy piloting the Ava, but she makes it clear once and again, that what she really enjoys is being praised for piloting the Ava. And that like that desire for praise is what makes it very easy to exploit and manipulate Asuka. And Kensuke doesn't have that factor. And so it seems like that's why, in the rationale of the plot, why Kensuke can't be an Evangelion pilot, even though he is the person more than anyone else in the world who wants to be an Evangelion pilot for its own sake. But anyway, back to Toji, who does not really want to be an Evangelion pilot. Um, the next, like he, there are a lot of shots of him in, in this episode and in the last of him just looking forlorn and dejected and like, you know, just bending himself over guardrails and staring out into the middle distance. And and in one of these scenes, Ray approaches Toji um you know, maybe to see where his head is at, but Toji is kind of like cuts it off and he's just like, oh, you already know that I'm the next pilot, don't you? And you're not actually approaching me about this because you're worried about me. You're worried, like Masato is, about how Shinji is going to take it once he finds out. 
Um, and so, yeah, like, uh, we're, we're, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people not acknowledging their feelings going on. Right. You have Asuka walking home with Hikari and Hikari is, Hikari is lovesick at this point. She is really in her feelings about her crush on Toji. She doesn't know what to do. She doesn't even know how to interpret Toji. She, she's, she's clearly trying to get Asuka to help her work through her crush. At one point, Hikari worries aloud that, um, it's like Hikari, I think, saw that conversation between Toji and Rei, and Hikari just immediately deduces that, oh no, what if Toji has a crush on Rei? And Asuka's like, absolutely not. That is absolutely not what's happening. <laughs> Relax. Relax. You're gonna be fine, girlfriend. And Asuka's trying to be supportive in this moment, but at one point, Hikari is like, what about Shinji? He seems like a, a nice, sensitive guy. And Asuka just flips out. And at this point, they're sitting together on a bench, right? It's dusk. They're sitting together on a bench. And Asuka is just, like, personally insulted that Hikari would even suggest that <laughs> that uh, that romance, that she would ever ship them. She would ever dare to ship Asuka and Shinji. And so Asuka's going on this really long, passionate rant about how stupid Shinji is and how he doesn't know how to interact with other people. The important thing here is that, like, in other times where she... Her word for Shinji up to this point is idiot. Yeah. She calls him an idiot, idiot basically. Every idiot Shinji. And there's, like, in this long tirade where she's just talking about how emotionally infantile he is and how dumb he is and how unperceptive he is, she then, like, it's it seems to be leading up to him, to her calling him an idiot. And she goes, he's a dummy. <laughs> and it's just like, you, you, it's just like she tripped right at the finish yeah, line. Yeah, yeah. But it's also, it's it's one of my favorite shots. It's sort of, this show... This show has a very distinct sexuality to it in the sort of second half of the series. Asuka's going on this long rant. She's doing like a whole Stephen A. Smith routine here. But then there's a point... Who was on crack? <laughs> Who was on crack? <laughs> but then in the middle of the tirade, the camera cuts to... Um, it cuts to a shot of Hikari and Asuka's legs on the bench. And Hikari has just she's sitting like normal meanwhile asuka she's she's giving this rant and her, she's very wound up and her legs are stretched out across the ground and she's sort of rocking on her heels in this way that just totally betrays her because everything she's saying is very hateful and disparaging about shinji but just that shot of her rocking on her heels makes her seem like the horniest girl in the world who really just cannot repress the fact that she has the worst crush on Shinji Akari and she cannot, no matter how mean she is, talk herself out of it. Yeah, she's absolutely, she's just too smitten to function yes. at this point. Yes. Yeah. And she can only process it through bullying and insults. Thus, we complete the circle. Asuka is Helga Pataki. Yeah, yeah. We, we suggested yeah. it before. Now her transformation is complete. Uh, so at this point, Masato is out of town, and we're in Masato's apartment, but Kaji is staying over, sort of as a babysitter for Shinji and Asuka. Uh, and there's a point in the evening where they're all in the living room, and Asuka... Shinji says something about the pilot of Unit 3, and Asuka realizes that Shinji doesn't know 
that Toji has been selected to be the pilot of Unit 3, but she withholds herself from telling him. She's she's like, uh, well, I don't know. I guess we'll find out. But they all go to bed, and Kaji sleeps in Shinji's room. And one, I just think this is like an adorable moment where it's like Kaji and Shinji on the floor together, and they're having their, like... Shinji doesn't get a lot of man-to-man conversations in this show. There are a lot of women in this show, and Gendo is a deadbeat dad, so that doesn't leave Shinji with a lot of men. And so Kaji sort of becomes, Kaji kind of becomes Shinji's big bro, right? And Kaji's on the floor in the bedroom, and they end up talking a bit about Gendo. Um, and, And Shinji knows that Kaji spends a lot of time around Gendo. And Kaji, in the middle of this conversation, sort of challenges Shinji a bit. He sort of challenges Shinji's idea of Gendo. Right. Um, it's it's more so that like Kaji is imparting this very valuable lesson about the unknowability of other people. Yeah. It's just like you don't you only know what you think you know. And there is so much more beyond that. Right. And to me it kind of echoes the moment uh in an earlier episode where Shinji asks Ray about Gendo and Gendo doesn't know what to say. Um, even though Ray spends a lot of time with Gendo, Kaji is sort of, he's materializing that lesson to say that like, he, he's not even saying it in defense of Gendo. It's not like he's saying, you don't know your father, don't say things about him. He's more so just saying, you two clearly have a, a broken relationship and you only really perceive your father at a distance. So you should be very careful about what you allow yourself to believe with any certainty about him. Uh, and then they go to bed. The next day, there's a test with Ava Unit 3. The, the flat black Ava Unit. It's got all the sauce. Right. And they're clearly doing an activation test with Toji. Uh, but unfortunately, the test goes very badly very quickly. And uh, Unit 3 goes out of control. And they quickly deduce that, the command center quickly deduces that it has been taken over by an angel. The angel Bardiel. So basically, this angel, this angel, I guess, is like a poltergeist, right? It just possesses Unit 3. And they try to eject Toji's entry plug, but it's stuck. The angel has sort of developed this webbing over the entry plug. Um, And the angel needs to do this because basically, once the pilot is no longer, once the entry plug is no longer inside of an Evangelion unit, it can no longer generate an AT field. And so... Even though the angel has taken over the Ava, it still needs the pilot to be in the Ava in order to have an AT field. But otherwise, the thing just starts stomping around, and Gendo deploys all three pilots, Shinji, Asuka, and Rei, uh, to, to stop the angel. And Shinji's first objection is like, okay, but there's somebody in there. And so Asuka and Rei end up having to go out first to try to confront uh, unit three, which is possessed by Bardiel. And you, I mean, Bardiel is just fucking them up. Bardiel just, Bardiel just sort of does Bardiel like a weird knows, backflip. He knows all the cheat codes. Yeah. He knows every single move in the, in the player's manual. Yeah. He knows the Hadouken, the Shoryuken. <laughs> like he it's, knows everything. Yeah. He very quickly like, oh. fucks up unit zero and unit two. Which leaves only Unit One, which has Shinji, and Shinji doesn't want to. He's like, I'm not. I know there's a pilot. I don't know who the pilot is, but I know there's a pilot in there. You're not going to talk me into hurting this person. Yeah. So Shinji is 
just reticent to engage uh, with with Unit 3 because he knows that there's a pilot in there. Has no idea who it is, but what doesn't matter, it's human and it's in there and I can't kill it. Um, and Gendo is just like, all right, uh, this is taking too long. Uh, disconnect the neural link between Shinji and his Ava. Load up the dummy plug. And this is the first time that we see the effect of the dummy plug or the dummy plug in action. Um, we know that it is basically the exact same thing as raised consciousness, but without a heart or without a soul. Right. Um, it's animalistic. It behaves it's animalistic. animalistically. Right. Animalistic is the right word. You know that shit is about to go pear-shaped because Ava's, the Ava unit's eyes turn red. And it is, it is Bane poisoned on Bane venom. Just absolutely going nuts well, on Unit Three. But, but importantly, the first thing because before when Shinji's refusing to fight, he gets attacked by he gets attacked by Unit Three. He gets pinned by Unit Three. Gendo gets fed up, activates the dummy plug system, and even though Unit One is pinned, it reaches up and it strangles Unit Three. It just holds like, its neck until it just snaps in its hands. Yeah, like as in like I've it no longer is feeling any pain. There are no more inhibitions. It doesn't realize anything other than kill this thing in front of me. Right. So in the moment when Unit One snaps Bardiel's neck, right when it snaps Unit Three's neck, uh, you see Unit Three's arms fall to its side, and it's clearly done. Like it could just stop there. But the but the dummy plug system is so animalistic that it then just goes to town on Unit Three. It's raining down punches and tearing off its arms, getting at the like tearing the chest plates off. It is an amazing action sequence that feels horrifying. Right, and you're already worried because even though you know Unit Three is possessed by an angel, you know that the pilot is in there, and you're already worried because. Unit 1 is just totally destroying the Evangelion unit. And then to make matters worse, there is a shot of Unit 3 raising its fist with the entry plug in its fist. And everyone in the command center and Shinji is like, oh my God, what are you going to do? And, and Unit 1 just crushes the entry plug in its fist. All of the LCL spurts out. It's just, the entry plug is shattered. So then the battle is over. Uh, they, they, the, once the, in, in the aftermath, you see, like, luckily, Toji is still alive. Um, yeah. Definitely incapacitated well, and missing a leg. And it's actually, by this point, Masato's on, this, on the scene because this, this battle happens in uh, Matsushiro, I believe. And so Masato has finally made it to the scene, but she gets injured in all of the, the wreckage during the fight with Bardiel. And she wakes up in a stretcher. And mind you, Masato, she had been out of town while Kaji was babysitting, and she never got the chance to tell Shinji who the pilot of Unit 3 was. And so you have this shot. Shinji's still in the cockpit, and he's looking down, and Masato gets on the phone to talk to him about what he's, what he's looking at. And he's like, listen, I didn't get the chance to tell you who the pilot is. And before Masato can say it, Shinji, who's looking at the crushed entry plug on the ground where the recovery teams are swarmed around it, sees the nerve agents pulling Toji's bloodied body 
He's a lot. His like eyes are open, but he's clearly just fucked up. And they're pulling him out of the wreckage of the entry plug. And Shinji just screams. So we ended the previous episode in abject horror. Um, the next episode, Interjection, begins with uh, Shinji in the holding base, still in the Ava unit, refusing all of the command center's eject commands and shouting at Gendo about, like, how could you? I thought that, you know, like, you at least had some shred of humanity about yourself, but no. And, you know, like, even if you disconnect me from power, I still have enough juice in this thing to fuck the whole city yeah, up this, by myself. He's turning on nerve in this moment. He is like, yeah. I will destroy all of you. He's man on fire at this point. He usually is threatening to run away. This time he's like, I might kill all of you. Like, like yeah, I will blow, like, I will blow this motherfucker up. And the, everybody in the, like, I mean... Alba, Ibuki, everybody is just like in his mental state. He might actually do this shit. I don't know. Maybe we should listen to what he has to say. And Gendo, I mean, like it's over pretty quickly because Gendo's just like, listen, I don't have time for this. Pressurize the cockpit, get his ass out of there. And so they do that, knock him out, and he wakes up uh, chained to a hospital bed. Yeah. They pull Shinji out of the cockpit with the laser torch. And next thing you know, Shinji is, he's in the hospital. And this time he wakes up next to Toji, who's obviously quite injured. Um, and in the hallway, you have Asuka and Rei, you know, waiting for those two boys to wake up. Um, this is sort of the first point in the series where I noticed that the, the hospital is a strange space in Ava. It's sort of, we talked in one of the previous episodes about how Masato's apartment is shot. The hospital is interesting because there are never any adults shown in the hospital. Like there's the one moment where you hear nurses who are not actually shown. They're out of, they're out of frame talking about Toji uh, in the other hospital visiting his sister. But whenever you see the hospital, it's always this very soft white light. The characters, they, there's not a lot of hard color in those scenes and the hospital um, even though clearly, you know, a different show, you might think there'd be doctors around. You'd think that there'd be these like surgery sequences, the, these very urgent, like we have to treat these person sequences. But the hospital in Ava is always, you're always there after somebody has woken up from whatever they went through in the hospital. And the only other people in the hospital that you see are other kids. And those, so it's Ray, it's Asuka, it's Hakari who ends up visiting Toji in the hospital. Um, but there are never actually any adults to support these people. You never see like Masato in the hospital visiting Shinji. Yeah. It's meant to seem very lonely and like it's, it is meaningful when, when the other characters are, because I mean like initially Shinji is waking up in the, in this hospital by himself. Uh, people come in for, quick terse conversations and leave and tell him where he should be next. This is later on in the series when Ray and Asuka and Hikari and well, some combination of the three are showing up by his bedside. It's meaningful. Um, right. You know, like it's getting by with a little bit of help from my friends. Right. So to speak. It's just notable to me because the, the adults in the show are the people putting these kids in the hospital. And yeah, and, but and yet, and yet, even someone like Masato, who is compassionate enough toward Shinji, it's just like the hospital is not a place she goes. Like these kids have to support each other when they're licking their wounds and when they're they're sort of trying to walk off 
all the traumatic shit they're being put through. The adults aren't helping them. It's their peers who are there for them, who show up. Even if it's like Asuka hiding and pretending like she's not visiting Shinji in the hospital. Yeah. Um, I'm just, yeah, so this is the second time that we see the dream train, um, which is just what we're going to call it because... I mean, like you heard earlier in this episode, me contorting myself into a ball trying to explain it. But anyway, um, right. So this is the second dream train sequence. But this time, Shinji, instead of sitting across from his younger self, is sitting across from Ray, who is kind of interrogating his reasons for piloting the Ava once again. Um, tr- not so gently leading uh, him towards the conclusion that he pilots the Ava because he wants well reinforcing the idea that he pilots the Ava because he wants praise and it's a way for him to be closer to his father right um but ray also ray also echoes the earlier bedroom conversation with kaji because she starts to challenge she she basically is telling toward the end of the dream she's telling shinji that shinji does not understand gendo and has never really tried to understand gendo's feelings and again, it's not totally as as with Kaji. It's not it's not framed as a conversation where Ray is defending Gendo, but she's sort of hinting at the idea that listen, you need to understand something about your father. You you're so distant from him that you're not fully understanding what your dad is all about, and your refusal to confront who your father actually is is one of the biggest problems in your life at the moment. Um, but she sort of just, in the dream at least, she sort of leaves him with that thought that Shinji does not understand Gendo and this is a problem. So he uh, wakes up, is brought into Gendo's office in handcuffs. Uh, this is basically his military tribunal, yeah. whatever you want to call it. Kangaroo court, more like it. Kangaroo, uh, kangaroo court. And uh, notably, this is like the first the first real time in the series that Shinji is speaking with any authority or any assur- uh, like assuredness about himself yeah, yeah. and he's just like listen I'm never piloting an Ava again and fuck you and I'm out like <laughs> so he quits he quits nerve once again um, even, Masato, even, Gendo, even the moment when he realizes that Shinji is serious and he's gonna quit he makes a point of saying okay for the record you disappoint me he, he sort of tries to do the last dig of I can. Yeah, he's like, responsive to praise and he's responsive to disappointment. I, I'm going to express this last note of displeasure in hopes that he'll rethink this. But no, Shinji's like, "Fuck this! I quit." He walks out of yeah, there and he's gone. And he, wa- he, wa- he walks out of there. He's like, "I'm out." And it's like, "Don't call me. I'm gonna be where I'm at." Yeah, Shinji's like, "I'm out. I'm gone. I, I am over this shit." And he walks out. He leaves Nerve. He gets as far as he got the last time. You know, he's he's around the train platforms. He is clearly on the way to civilian life as the next angel zero L attacks Tokyo 3. He just kind of airdrops directly in on Nerve HQ. Yeah. Um, zero L looks like a potato with ribbon arms. That's how I describe it. He, he sort of looks... <laughs> here's, the, here's the peril of zero L. He looks like a Mr. Peanut can. Yeah. Like the one... And then like... But, but with... Paper yeah, arms. With, with, with paper arms. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because zero L looks goofy as hell and it really obscures how much zero L fucks everyone's shit up immediately, right? Because Zero-L has these, this, Zero-L causes a lot of explosions, and Zero-L really is, is, the crucifix explosions in this show, 
that's that's primarily Zero's weapon is his ability to just sort of strike at any point in the ground and demolish it and to to sort of penetrate um penetrate through to the geo front with a series of crucifix explosions. Um imagine a machine gun that shoots nukes that explode in crucifixes and that's what Zero is. Right, right. And Zero Zero L doesn't even walk. Zero like floats. He's just sort of floating around. He's got legs, but he ain't got to use them. He's just bombing the shit out of the geo front. He's penetrating the He's got the like defenses. stubby Sour Patch Kids legs. Yeah, he, he looks so goofy, but he is one of the most physically intimidating angels. And Ray at one point tries to launch in Shinji's Unit 1. Uh, unit 1 notably rejects Ray. And Gendo's like, all right, well, for now, Asuka's going to have to deal with this. Asuka tries. Like, Asuka, at this point, she really hasn't gotten over the time that Shinji beat her in the sync test and also defeated an angel by himself in, in the Lilial Angel. So she is going into this battle. She fires every weapon she has. And she, she, she cycles through every gun she has. She, at one point, has a skyscraper-sized rocket launcher that she unloads on Zero L. Does nothing to Zero L. She pulls out every he gun. Ate, yeah. He, yeah, he eats the missile like a snack. Yes. It's, yes. There's nothing. Nothing is working. And it's like, it's Asuka in Unit 2 gets to the end of her ammo. And Zero L just walks up to her and throws its ribbon arms at her shoulders and just slices her arms off. And then Asuka is just like, oh, shit. And she's just there exposed. She has no, or Unit 2 has no arms. And Zero L throws his arm at Unit 2's head and decapitates Unit 2. Asuka's all fucked up. Shinji, meanwhile, was not able to get onto the train because an angel attacked and the whole city is on lockdown. So he's made his way by this point into a shelter with, you know, all the rest of the riffraff, all the rest of the plebs and commoners. And as Asuka or as Unit 2 gets decapitated, the head flies off and comes crashing through the shelter and Shinji is just like, Asuka, and starts making his way back to uh, back to the Geofront. Right, so he leaves, Shinji leaves the shelter, and he's watching, he's watching Zero Well rampage across the city when he runs into Kaji uh, in Kaji's watermelon patch. And Kaji is in this very, Kaji's in this weird, blissful state. He is watering his watermelons. And he's watching out over the battle with this sense of, I might die here. <laughs> you know, it's like there's this battle raging <laughs> all like, around him. Yeah. And he, he's, he's just, just like, like what, what the fuck are you doing here, bro? Um, and he's he's sort of, he. I feel like the way Kaji frames it is he's saying that like, you know, you have to have some self-determination about how you go out. <laughs> and he's just like, this place brings yeah. me comfort and there's all this chaos in the world and you know, these angels have really hijacked our, our own ability to, like, control our own destiny because we might die at any point. And, you know, this is in a moment like this, this is where I choose to be. And Shinji Akari, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but you need to you need to be in the place that you're not going to regret being right now, because as far as I can see it, unit two just got decapitated and you seem sort of ambivalent about whether you want to run away from nerve and whether you want to get in there and fight. And all I can tell you is that you should do the thing that you're not going to live to regret. 
Um, it is very like not so subtly a kill your pride conversation, right. but it's one of my favorite scenes in the series because it's just like highlights that people greet or welcome death in different ways. And it is, it's unique to each person, how they interact with it. And it is what Kaji is saying is that like for here, for me, I can't do anything else but be here. And this place makes me feel safe and happy and I can be here. And if I, if I die here, then that's okay with me. But you can, you have the ability to do something yeah, else. You're talented. You have, yeah. you have a purpose and you have talents. And in the middle of their conversation, uh, there's this shocking moment where unit unit zero resurfaces with Ray in the cockpit, and unit zero at this point is missing an arm, <laughs> um, yeah. and unit zero is holding. It's sort of in a sprinting pose, and it's holding an into mine to its chest. And Gendo and Ritsuko and Masato are all like, what the fuck is Ray? They clearly didn't dispatch Unit Zero. So Unit Zero emerges and Ray decides that she is going to sprint at the Angel, shove the into mine through its AT field into its core. And the Angel sort of manages to, to shut like this weird eyelid over its core as the into mine explodes. And it just totally wipes out like a large chunk of the geo front. You get the sense that you know, basically just vaporized Unit Zero with Ray in it, and yet Zero L survived. So at this point, Shinji's like, fuck this, I gotta go. And so he runs. Shinji sprints. He runs all the way back to HQ. He runs onto the catwalk. He looks up to the command center with his father, and he says, I'll fucking do it. I'll pilot the Ava. And, and Gendo tries to sort of resist in this woman. He says, why are you here? And Shinji says, because I am the pilot of Evangelion Unit 1, I am Shinji Ikari. So you get this sense in this moment of not only has he returned, but he's sort of finally, finally acquiesced to the demand that he not only pilot the Ava, but he accepts that this is what his identity is. His identity is, I am the guy who pilots this thing. So Shinji gets in there. He gets in right as Zero L breaches the command center, and then Shinji comes in from stage right and, just, and clocks him. And just, like, just lays him down yes. with a strong right. Yes. <laughs> and, like, and Unit 1, st like, just starts into fucking this thing up. I mean, like, it's just like, yo, like, I can't believe this is for my family. Yeah. This is for all my friends. Yes, and, he, and it, it's because, like, the moment Zero L storms into the command center, you see this this star in its eye, and it's the it's the tell that uh, Zero L is about to to cause another explosion. And so he really, he hits Zero in the face right before he detonates the whole command center. And he, he basically, he boxes Zero L all the way across to the launch platform. And Shinji yells to Masato to launch the, to launch the platform. And it basically throws Zero L in unit one up to the surface. And so at this point, they're just in the woods. They're like, they're, Shinji is pummeling the shit out of the angel in the woods and he's he's on the brink of rip, he's literally ripping Zero L's face off, and then unfortunately, remember the battery limit. And right, Evil Unit One reaches the end of its battery limit and goes dark. And then the turntables. Yeah, and then Zero yeah. L's like, "Oh, you thought you had this? Okay, yeah, bitch, you thought? You yeah." Thought. And then so he he so Zero gets into using his ribbon ribbon arms to then just stab the shit out of Unit yes. One and. 
there is uh, mass panic again because it's just like this is if it, if this doesn't work out, this is it for like us humanity civilization yeah. as it were. He cuts off. Like, I believe he. I believe Zero cuts off. He severs one of Unit One's arms, and then yeah, that one ribbon arm. He just you know we're saying ribbon arm, but it's basically it's like steel ribbons, and so yeah. Zero just starts attacking. The, the, core the core in the chest of Unit 1. And it's just hammering. And it's actually unbearable to hear it because it's like, boom, 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 boom. And it, it feels like if somebody were cracking your skull with a hammer. And the, the, yeah. the, the, the cockpit itself starts to shatter. And Shinji yeah. just... Death is imminent. Yes, yes. It's almost... It is almost a wrap. Just then, there's uh, Unit 1. Unit 1. Unit 1 and not Shinji, like, comes to. And it's... Like, you see the true carnal nature of what an Ava actually is. And it's, like, it's it begins, like, crawling around on all fours. Well, well first thing is, like, it grabs, because it, it rips off uh, Zero's ribbon arms. And at one point, it takes the ribbon, it takes the shredded ribbon arm of the angel and sticks it to its shoulder. And then unit one from the ribbon, from the angel's ribbon arm, regrows its own left arm. And it's this weird, disgusting moment where it's like, it doesn't regrow it in the exact way it looked before, where it had like the purple armor that made it look very technological. It grows what looks like- It looks like, like a human yeah, arm. Yeah, it looks like very grotesque, but otherwise humanoid with, with, with like webbed fingers and shit. It looks gross. It's disgusting. And then that's when unit one gets on all fours and just starts crawling around. And crawling toward zero. And also, 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 at this point, um, the the Ava has in past times when the when the Ava's gone berserk, this is the third time that it's activated without a power source. And in each of those instances, like you it roars and you see its teeth. And it in the past, its teeth have been like red or, you know, like dark and seem almost as if they're a part of the the helmet that the Ava unit wears. Yeah, yeah. This instance, like these are human teeth, like white teeth. Yeah. And it is crawling around on all fours and it's just chewing on this angel and ripping parts of it off and eating it. And it's just absolutely disgusting. Yeah. It's like it somehow looks more savage than when unit one defeated Bardiel, because this time it turns into cannibalism. This time yeah. unit one gets on top of zero. L. There's a moment where it just totally splits its AT field in two and all of, all of zero L's blood flies out of its body. And then, yeah, it's just unit one starts devouring the angel and it starts devouring like an organ in the middle of it. And by this point, like, Ritsuko and Masato have rushed up above ground, and Ritsuko's like, oh, no. She realizes that Unit 1 has devoured the angel's, uh, it, it's, it's devoured a vital organ and taken that organ into itself. And Ritsuko, in this very excited moment, is trying to explain what's happening to Masato, but she's basically saying that, like, this thing has... The, the Ava unit has incorporated part of the angel into itself. And so now and it's like more powerful than it's ever been. And this is also just something that none of these scientists who developed the Avas accounted for. And it's like, now we don't know what to do with unit one. We're afraid of yeah. this thing now. 
it's they, they say like verbatim like we have no use for a god yeah and it's that which is essentially what unit one has become by absorbing this organ from the angel into itself right we learn in the next episode that sele is very unhappy that uh that unit one has devoured the angels as two engine sele f- feels like this is a, a bridge too far in terms of the power of the evangelion units and we've already learned basically fiutsky learns that this was actually gendo's plan all along for this eventually to happen for for the evangelion unit to acquire an s2 engine to make it able to exceed its technological constraints. Um, but in the meantime, unit one is sort of on, it's sort of in quarantine, right? It's like, they got to fix all the armor because it kind of busted out of the armor and it looks gross because it's got a weird regenerated arm. Well, Ritsko uh, tells Masato that the armor on the Ava are actually its restraints, quote unquote. So that we, we, we've already engaged with the idea that the Avas are, living beings of a kind but yes because it, it it shook off a lot of that armor yeah Ritsuko has some explaining to do to Masato of like these aren't robots they are cyborgs basically um but also we're bearing the lead that Shinji is gone Shinji has melted into a pool of pee he has melted well he's <laughs> he's he's been subsumed into the LCL like during the whole unit one awakening and devouring the angel Shinji has been just integrated into the LCL. His ego is lost in there somewhere. His corporeal body is gone. All that's left is his plug suit, uh, all wet and gross. And so Ritsuko has to figure out, uh, I mean, it's sort of, there's this weird vibe of everyone being like, is Shinji dead? And Ritsuko's like, we can try to save him. Let's try. We, we're going to try to recover him from the LCL. And there's a lot of fake Ritsuko science that happens. And we're not going to talk about any of it. All we need to know is that, that Shinji's ego exists. And it's sort of just in the LCL liquid in the entry plug. And it is once again, we're, we're, we're looking at Shinji's thought processes. We We don't have his body on hand at the moment, but we're looking at, his dream sequences and his his inner turmoil while he's lost in the cockpit of Evangelion Unit 1. So different people in his life in various states of undress appear to him <laughs> while he's in this quantum state. I would um, say only women and, appear to him in states of undress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just like you... you Maybe this is the Ava unit talking to him. Maybe it's himself talking to him. Uh, but it's like the refrain is, uh, don't you want to be one with me? Don't you want to be one with right. me? Don't you want to be one Specifically with me? Specifically coming from Ray, Asuka, and Masato are the three women who keep appearing before him nude and just repeating that over and over again. And then there's another sequence where all of the characters, you know, Gendo, Kaji, Ritsuko, Masato, Toji, they're all calling him on a green phone that he just sort of holds in his hand. And they're they're praising him and then they're sort of telling him to keep it up. So they're not just saying you did a good job. It's not just a bunch of people repeating praise. It's it's a conditional praise of keep it up. Which is just supposed to, I feel like it's supposed to feel like a split between making Shinji feel good by way of praise and also goading Shinji into continuing to pilot the Ava. But they just keep right. saying in this long sequence, keep it up, Shinji, keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. You know, it's all of these characters yeah. just repeating that over and over again. 
Ritsuko does her fake science thing. Um, we don't really need to talk about uh, the plan that she formulates to get Shinji out of the entry plug. It's a lot of Freudian um, jargon. It's a lot of Freudian nonsense. Uh, and But anyway, eventually it does work uh, after a fashion because they, they get the entry plug open, the LCL pours out, and it's just Shinji's plug suit. But it's like Masato's like magical tears that bring his actual body back from the ether. And and it's also weird because it's shot also, once again, in a way that resembles the original scene of Gendo breaching the entry plug to 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 retrieve Ray after the failed unit zero accident, which has already been doubled with Shinji retrieving Ray in a similar way from the entry plug. And now you have this scene where Masato bursts into the entry plug and has just so many tears in her eyes. And Shinji is is still in a state. He's kind of dazed and he kind of doesn't totally know what just happened. Um, While Shinji is lost in the LCL, we learn that, first of all, when Shinji first ran away from home, from Gendo, it was immediately after his mom died. And we learn that Shinji's mom, Yui, died in an incident that's actually quite like this. She basically, we lose Yui Akari in in an Evangelion test that somehow ends up with her being dismembered and lost in the LCL. Yeah, her essence is similarly torn apart and assimilated into something right we which which you know like we'll we'll come to light later but right but but Ritsko's main sort of challenge here is that this has happened before and they failed to recover Yui Akari and so Shinji surviving is this small miracle really I mean (laughs) a very large so a a very large sizable miracle a Um, triple XL miracle that Shinji that they're able to recover Shinji from the LCL in this episode. Um, and I think the one other thing we learn in, in Shinji's hallucinations in the LCL is there's a brief scene where Gendo and Yui are... It's funny because Shinji himself wouldn't have a memory of this, but he sees Gendo and Yui talking, and they're talking about baby names. And Gendo reveals that his choices were, if they had a boy, his name would be Shinji. If they had a girl... Her name would be Ray. So that that's the last sort of meaningful thing we learn before Shinji reconstitutes as a full human boy that we all know and love in the real world. So Shinji, Shinji is reconstituted. And, and Masato um, is like, Masato is the main and- person who's like, was on her wits end. losing yeah. it. Yeah, she's, she's, she is absolutely torn apart by uh by grief and concern yeah. during this entire ordeal. Yes. Uh and then, you know, Shinji Shinji is reconstituted and like Mas- and then Masato is immediately after everything is fine again, she's just like, "Listen, I'm glad you're okay and alive and, you know, like your corporeal form is back. 
I got to get to this dick appointment. Though. No, it's not like that. It's more like I, I, her energy is more like somebody who needs to go blow off steam. She's been so wound yeah, up. Exactly. It Shinji is, it is gone is for like, I should say when Shinji's lost in the LCL, he's gone for like a month. They they're running a, like tests. They're really doing yeah. prolonged science during this whole yeah, episode. Yeah, it is. It takes it, a month. Yeah, Shinji's back, and it's more like Masato needs to. It's like a deep exhale. Yeah, it's is a deep what this exhale, is. and. And so she's she's actually riding with Ritsuko in a car, and Ritsuko's sort of debriefing her about all of her fake science that supposedly had something to do with saving Shinji. And Masato's like, Ritsuko, I gotta go. And Ritsuko's like, you're gonna be Kachi. <laughs> and Masato's like, shut up. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Masato and Kaji are in an, an unidentified bedroom together. And they are clearly... you don't You never see them in this scene, but they're clearly in bed, like having sex. And it's a very steamy scene. It's very, the Titanic car garage, <laughs> you know, it's very Jack and Rose. Yeah. But um, So there's a shot of a beer, a cu- like a glass of beer on the nightstand next to an ashtray. And then there's just heavy breathing. Yeah. And, and the whole, the whole time, this whole scene, the camera just stays on that. It stays on the beer and the, it's like the, the half-drained beer and the ashtray. There is a sexy little moment in this sexy little scene where, because again, we mentioned that there's an ashtray and Kaji's like, oh, you smoke? <laughs> you know, and it's, so it's clearly, we're not, we don't see, again, we're not looking directly at Masato and Kaji, but Kaji makes it clear that Masato is the one smoking the cigarette. And Kaji says, you smoke? And Masato says, I only smoke after doing something like this. Which means that you are the only, you're the only man who's ever seen me smoke. In this moment, in her half-sly way, she's, she seems to be revealing that Kaji is in fact the only man she's ever been with. Um, and, and Kaji in his... <laughs> too smooth way responds with something to the effect of I'm flattered. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, we've always known that the, the Masato Kaji relationship is complicated, but yeah, this is, this is the moment where because Masato reveals that reveals that Kaji's the only man she's ever been with. You really get the sense that uh, she is stunted. She's stunted in she really cannot get over all of the comparisons between Kaji and her father. And she just doesn't, you get this sense that Masato doesn't know what to do without Kaji and beyond Kaji. You're just sort of, I don't know. There's, it's not like the show is trying to censor these two characters having sex so much as it's trying to, it, it, it almost feels respectful in a way. It's trying to give them this real moment of intimacy where Masato's doing her thing where she's playing James Bond Jr., right? Like she's trying, she, she herself has become a spy. Like she's having fun. She's like having it's fun, like, it's okay. Right. Kaji and Kaji at this stage has decided he doesn't care whether he's being used or not. He's also getting a little reckless. He's sort of like, you yeah. know what? You stuck me up in, you, you put a gun to my back. And ever since I've decided that we're in this together and I'm going to give you the information that I have. And you get the sense that really the reason he's trying to deflect and stall Masato with sex is because he knows that wherever they are, it's not a safe location. And so he doesn't want to talk to Masato about nerve and 
and terminal dogma and all the shit that she's asking about. He he wants her to shut up, but he has information to give her and he passes her this capsule, this very small capsule that he puts by the ashtray. And he sort of lets that be his his memento to Masato as the answer to all of her questions. We are finally at the kind of episode I have wanted this entire time. The most enigmatic character in the show to me is Fuyutsuki, uh, a character who is Gendo's right-hand man, a character who in recent episodes has started to clash, not, not hard clash, but definitely soft clash with Gendo philosophically about uh, the causes of second impact and about Gendo's sort of chess strategy against Sele. So this episode, unfortunately, begins with Fuyutsuki being kidnapped. Uh, he's kidnapped by Sele. And Sele is just, at this point, at its wit's end with regard to Gendo. Sele is very clearly dissatisfied with Nerve. And Sele has abducted Fuyutsuki to sort of interrogate his relationship with Gendo Ikari. And so Fuyutsuki, being the old-ass man that he is, decides to tell Sele, really he's telling the viewer, but, you know, he's telling us his life story. Um, and we sort of learn about his career before Second Impact. So Fiuski is a university professor. This is a blissful time before Second Impact. Uh, he doesn't make friends easily at university where he's teaching. He meets the colleague. He's like, listen, Fiuski, you're a brilliant man. But you hardly make. He, they give him this weird New Jersey accent in the dub, where it's like, "Listen, you're a brilliant man, but you hardly make the effort to cultivate connections." <laughs> you're, with you're, you're a brilliant man, man. but you, you but you need to spend some time with others. You and, know what I'm saying? And the saying? colleague is telling him about this this very promising student. Her name is Yui Akari. Uh, Fuski meets Yui Akari for the first time, and she's just sort of she's talking about the future. And she both seems like a very smart and ambitious person, but she's also has this this weird carefree nature to her. It's kind of conservative how she's presented. She sort of very aggressively says like, "I love science, but also I could just be a mother." You know, it's it's sort of like that. She has this very immediately maternalized sense when she first meets uh, Fuski, and around the same time. Another colleague calls Fuyutsuki and he's like, hey, I have a student who got in some trouble. He's in jail. <laughs> he clearly like got in some sort of <laughs> fist fight. Uh, his name is Gendo Rokabungi. Uh, could you go bail him out of jail? <laughs> and so Fuyutsuki gets re recruited into bailing this ruffian. This ruffian. This ruffian. Out of the, this, <laughs> out of the penitentiary. He, this, Philistine. this Philistine. Out of the penitentiary. And he, and he you know, Fuyutsuki goes downtown and Gendo's got all these scratches on his face, and Fuyutsuki's like, who are you, young man? And he's like, ah, I've heard of you. I, I was, you know, Gendo has this weird sense of, like, on the one hand, he, he feels like a bad student. He feels like a bad student archetype, but he actually knows who Fuyutsuki is, and he has respect for him, and he has this weird edge to him. He's tough, but he also has this sense of social ambition and academic ambition to him that's maybe just sort of obscured by the fact that he that Gendo looks kind of like an asshole. He looks like some random asshole. And sort of time passes, the semesters pass and Yui and Fuyutsuki have actually become friends and they're out on a hike and Yui is like oh yeah, by the way, I started seeing this guy and 
His name's Gendo. And Fiusky's like, that Gendo? Are you serious? <laughs> it's like, it's not even outrage. He's sort of, there's a- Gendo? 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 <laughs> it's not like that. It's actually quite plaintive. He's, he, he knows yeah. who Yui's talking about. And to me, it feels very split in this moment. It feels like Fiusky has a sense of disappointment that's half him being worried because Gendo is, he knows Gendo's trouble. Yeah, it's it's partially paternal, right. and then like part of it feels like romantic, like platonic concern between friends, and part of it feels like vaguely romantic. Yeah, yeah. it feels, and it's weird because there is a there is a large age difference between Yui and Fiutsuki, but it also yeah, it's just something about his facial response to Yui telling him about Gendo that it just feels like that moment where. The, the sort of light blows out from his eyes and he realizes that he's not going to be with Yui Akari. Um, that, they're, that they're friends, but like the fact that she's... That's all that they're ever going to be. Right, and it's also that the fact that she's seeing this guy who he has reservations about, he just knows in, instantaneously that that's going to make his friendship with Yui Akari kind of difficult now. He goes like, he seems driven and, you know, he seems like a good enough person, but I can't bring myself to not think that he's creepy. I can't yeah, remember exactly what that yeah. line is, but it's so funny. And it's weird because Fiyutsuki feels so tentative and it's not just, Yui doesn't respond to this with a sense of, well, yeah, I guess I see what you mean. Or, oh, the relationship is kind of here or there. It's Yui hears what Fiyutsuki's saying, but she's very confident in the relationship. She's like, oh, I know what you mean. I know what you're talking about, but this is my guy. Um, and Yui and Gendo could not seem like more different people. They really couldn't. Yui just seems like such a sweetheart. And Gendo seems like a dickbag. Fiyutsuki interrupts his own recollection to in, in present day to sort of, he talks about how, uh, and again, this feels kind of self-serving and it underscores a sort of romantic interpretation of Fiyutsuki. But he, he kind of says to Sele, you know, at the time there was a lot of speculation that the only reason Gendo was into Yui is because Yui was close to Sele, right? Um, and, and it's sort of, I think you're meant to, you're, you're meant to deduce that maybe she's from a, a powerful family or something like that. And that basically that Gendo uh, wasn't just maybe in love with Yui, but that he's doing a little bit of social climbing and sort of power, power play by, by forging a relationship with Yui Akari. There is basically that you are never really you never really get to feel secure in in their relationship. Um, right. It's, 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 it's cast as a means to an end. Right. And that's the thing. You, it's not, Fiutsuki's not recalling the relationship at all. He's just recalling when he learned about different stages of it, but he never is really seeing them together. And then this is all interrupted by second impact. So he skips ahead a few years. And at that point, Fiutsuki's retired from teaching he just is living in like a sweaty apartment in a in a half rebuilt city somewhere. He's he's living on a on a houseboat. Yeah, that's what it is. Uh, he looks like he's on a, yeah, a banana boat. He's living on a houseboat surrounded by unorganized papers and test tubes, and you he is doing this kind of village doctor thing yeah. and as some sort of like, this is the only way that I can really help people now kind of capacity. Right. So a weird secret service looking agent shows up at Fiyutsuki's houseboat and says, Gendo Akari wants to see you. By the way, he's in Antarctica. And so Fiyutsuki's like, okay, Gendo is at the site of Second Impact. 
He's clearly doing some sort of research. Fuski doesn't really want to go, but he goes to Antarctica. He meets Gendo. Gendo doesn't really immediately explain what he's even doing down there so much as he... The first thing he really explains is, by the way, me and Yui got married. My last name is Akari now. So Fuski very unceremoniously learns in Antarctica about Gendo and Yui's marriage. And then Fuski, though, is kind of a bloodhound. And he's kind of suspicious of Gendo. And he confronts Gendo with information. And he says, listen... I can't help but notice that all the scientists down here studying Second Impact on behalf of the United Nations, they're all affiliated with Sele. And it just feels like Sele is a shady organization and that it's weird that you all are dominating the investigation of what happened during Second Impact. And it feels like there's some sort of cover-up going on. And I want you to explain what you're doing down here. And also, after Gendo reveals that he and Yui are married, uh, he then reveals that Yui's not there because she's also with child. So, boom. All right, so, boom. Like, listen, uh, Yui is not only my wife now, she's also having my baby. So, there. Do with that what you will. A lot of information to process for (laughs) Fuyutsuki. But, yeah, meanwhile, it's just Fuyutsuki's becoming so frustrated with Gendo because he... He feels like he's in the midst of an unsavory cover-up. or he, he, Whatever is happening right now in terms of the study of Second Impact, uh, Fuyutsuki knows that there's something fishy going on. Right. So Fuyutsuki is sweating Gendo over, you know, all of this. Where's all this money coming from? What is Sele? What, is, what are y'all doing around Second Impact? Uh, like, what do you know that you're not telling me? And uh, they, the two of them end up back in Japan and, you know, it's just like, like, why don't you just you stop? The, just come see this. Come see this real quick. And they go underground and they go to the Geofront, which at this point is empty. And all that is understood about it is that this is a similar kind of place that we found the first angel in. Gendo introduces, uh, Futsuki to Naoko Akagi. Ritsuko's mom. As you'll recall, Ritsuko's mom, as you'll recall. And they, he also gets to see the Magi and a prototype of an Evangelion. Right. This is 12 years before, or this is actually 11 years before Unit Zero is in any sort of operable shape. Right, right. Dr. Akagi and Gendo do the whole charm offensive on Futsuki to try to recruit him to... Uh, the organization, uh, nerve, sh- right? Yeah, to share in building a different future for humanity. Right, that, that's the language. The language. That yeah, it's just very pretentious. Yeah. Like we are building a new future. We have the technology. But Infuski just goes back to Yui Akari, who's also a part of this operation, and he's just like, "This is I don't I don't like this. It feels like I get what Gendo is talking about, but it feels like there are a lot of unsavory political forces." It feels like Sele is threatening people who don't want to cooperate with Sele's particular outlook on uh, Second Impact. And Yui, and, and, and importantly, Fuyutsuki and Yui are having this conversation in this very like white shot under a tree that clearly recalls the tree that Yui and Shinji are talking under when, when Shinji is hallucinating in Unit 1 at one point. And it's Yui has this very weird, resigned tone where she's like, Oh, I understand. Sele is kind of like Sele has threatened me too, but also the work we're doing 
is it's the only work that I know to do to make sure that this fucked up world we all live in now because of Second Impact will be a safe place for my son. Forebodingly, the next scene, I don't know if it's necessarily the next day, there's like an even, there's like a, there's a prototypical contact experiment and all of the scientists, right? So Dr. Naoko Kagi and Gendo and Butsuki, uh witness a freak accident. Baby Shinji is also in the command center and the freak accident kills Yui Akari. Basically, Yui Akari is lost, right? And what we were talking about earlier where Yui Akari is lost um, in a freak accident where she's lost in the LCL. This is this is the moment, right? This is the moment where we lose Yui Akari and we we almost lose Gendo who sort of mourns for a while and he leaves Nerve for a while. And there's a point like there's a there's a point like a week there's a week after Yui Akari has died where Gendo returns to Nerve and at that point Fuyutsuki has just sort of accepted that He's going to work here now. And if anything, when Gendo returns, Fuyutsuki is like, I, I understand that you're grieving, but you have responsibilities here. Like the research you're in charge of is very important. You can't just leave like that. And Gendo, this moment after he's lost his wife, he has this sort of, how would you put it, Micah? He feels very softly deranged. And it's, yeah, he he withdraws very deeply into himself. He, this is the first time that you see the the now posture that you see basically every other shot that Gendo's in, right. where he is sitting at his desk and his eyes are obscured by his glasses, which are reflecting light, and his hands are yeah, steepled, the, and yes. he's in his machinations at that point. Right, right. It's sort of, he doesn't, it's not just he's sort of deeply withdrawn, he's very purposefully withdrawn. And so when he returns to Nerve, when he returns to the, his sort of iconically cavernous office, he addresses Fiyutsuki with this sense of like, I was gone for a week, I'm back, and I have a new vision of the future. And that is sort of, that is the birth of Nerve, right? That is, it's, it's, the death of Yui Akari does something to Gendo Akari's soul. And he's already kind of a, he's already a questionable guy. He's always, he's already a guy with kind of shaky motivations and he's kind of rough around the edges. But Yui Akari's death transforms him into something closer to like a conventional evil as opposed to just being yeah. imperfect. He just seems yeah. after that he just becomes dark. He has yeah, he has terrifying clarity of vision right. at this point. Right. And if anything that's also the moment where it feels like it goes from Fiyutsuki being this this sort of senior person in a scene and Gendo being the reckless youth. In that moment it instantly transforms to you, you look at the interaction between Fiyutsuki and Gendo in this moment and you know Fiyutsuki is the subordinate character and that Gendo is the dominant character now. There's one last curious element of Fiyutsuki's recollection of the birth of Nerve. In, in one of these parts of, of Fiyutsuki's like, recollection of the birth of Nerve, you see Dr. Naoko Akagi um, putting the, finishes the finishing touches on the Magi system. Another thing that uh, Fiyutsuki recalls uh, as he is going through his recollections of the birth of Nerve is that at one point, uh, Ritsuko is hired to work at Nerve. 
And in a very, like a, you know, a, there's a scene where Ritsuko sees Gendo and her mother, Dr. Naoko Akagi, sharing uh, some kind of, that she, she basically notices some things that like suggest a clandestine romance. And so Naoko Kagi and Gendo are also K I S S I N G. Yeah, but it's much darker. It's sort of, but ro- it's much darker and it strong, feels yeah. romance is too strong. It's, it's definitely just like we are just meeting the bump uglies every once in a while. Yeah. Like that is, it's, it doesn't well, feel that, but it also it feels a little or, manipulative on Gendo's, but it feels like he's doing, it feels like his sexual interaction with Naoko Kagi is very, dominant it feels like he's sort of it's almost like the relationship between the adults and the this able pilots right where it's like yeah this is a this is a thing that he's doing to make sure that she stays around to complete her project right. and that she stays in um, line in certain like confidential matters probably yeah yeah um but then there is another scene where uh Ritsuko's mother uh the doctor akagi at this point is putting the finishing touches on the Magi system when a young Ray wanders into the control room. And there's another scene where this uncanny little girl wanders into the control room and it's Dr. Naoki Akagi that recognizes her as Ray. This is young Ray uh, who has wandered off and is lost somewhere in Nerve HQ and Dr. Akagi offers to help her find her way back. And Ray in this scene says, I don't need any help from you, old hag. And Dr. Kagi is like, hold up a minute. You you got like, excuse me? Um, that's another thing that we say, you know, like it's just one of those things where she's trying to be kind of a matriarchal figure in this situation and just be like, hey, you know, like this is not a thing that we say. Um, you know, now let's get you back to where you're supposed to be. And she's like, no, like, I really don't need your help, old hag. And she just keeps saying it. And, uh, like, it's just like a, where did you learn that word type of situation? And Ray's just like, this is what, uh, this is what Mr. Gendo says, like, calls you, like, in private. It's just like, that old hag, we don't really need her anymore and she's no longer this, of use to us that old she's hag. no longer of use to us that old hag and this drives dr akagi just absolutely mental she was already kind of going that direction yeah. um, she has like a very weird desperation to her in a lot of scenes where yeah. she's interacting with gendo and then this just sets yes. her off yeah, this this puts her over the edge. Um and she strangles Ray to death and then kills herself. Yeah. She kills herself like in the command center. There is a very just devastating shot of like the chalk outline of her body on the floor and just blood spatter all over the Magi system. Right. Yeah, man, Fusky's memories are all sorts of fucked up. <laughs> That's all I can really say about Yeah, it's, it's really... He has, like, all of these yeah. fucked up memories. Um, one thing we'll talk about later is this sort of dynamic between Fusky and Yui. It, it's just very odd to me because obviously the show has set up repeatedly this idea of Gendo and Yui's relationship, right, as it relates to Shinji's upbringing. But these most recent episodes, I think... Um, Especially with the shot of of Fuyutsuki and Yui speaking under the tree and baby Shinji also being present for that scene. 
it sort of it it lends a significance to like the Yui Fuyutsuki dynamic that is more it's it, it feels like it's about more than just oh there's a weird romantic but also platonic subtext to friend, to Fuyutsuki and Yui's relationship but we'll talk about that more in later episodes all we need to know for now is that um Fuyutsuki's old man recollections about the birth of Nerve and the history of his entire life are interrupted by Kaji who breaks into the interrogation room and you know, Fuyutsuki, once it's funny because like the interrogation room is always pitch black, right? Until a character opens the door. Fuyutsuki opens the door and he's like, Fuyutsuki, let's go. And Fuyutsuki's like, What are you doing here? Like, you, what did you do? And Kaji's like, Oh, I just, I think he says, I made sure that the guard outside got some shut eye. And so yeah. it's like Kaji is sneaking Fuyutsuki around the corner. He's returning him to Gendo. And Fuyutsuki's He's like continuing to play both ends against the middle. Right. Or really, it's like five different ends. He's playing a lot yeah. of ends against the middle. And Fuyutsuki, yeah. as they're they're leaving the detainment, Fuyutsuki's like, I don't know, man. I feel like this was a, a bad decision on your part, re- recovering me from Sele's captivity. Like, I feel like this is gonna cause you some problems. But you get the sense that Kaji is already kind of resigned to this. Yeah, this this episode also ends on a very sad note. Um, there is a scene where Kaji is just kind of standing in front of like this this large drum fan, like waiting on somebody. It looks like a, it, it's it, funny. It's a drum fan that looks like it's in a location similar to remember when he was in the barn in yes. Kyoto investigating the Marduk Institute, and you're just like it feels like he's meeting that woman again, like that source in the straw hat. And he he's sort of just staying there with his hands in his pocket. And you have this, like, look at him. And then he turns to the camera. And what does he say exactly? He has a smile on his face. He says, I was wondering when you'd show up. And then you just hear and, a bang. And then you hear a gunshot. Yeah. And this episode began with uh, Kaji uh, making a call from a green payphone in the middle of nowhere. And it's at the end of the episode that you realize that he was leaving a voicemail for Misato, um, apologizing, but not really apologizing. It's it's a very like you know d- don't cry because it's over, small because it happened yeah, type yeah. Of, of of message. Well, he's he's first he's like give my regards to Ritsuko, which feels kind of loaded yeah. in a sense the way he says it to me. Yep. But give my regards to Ritsuko. Um, you know, be safe out there. Uh, the next time I see you, I will say what I meant to say to you the last time that we spoke. He says goodbye. And, and then he says goodbye. And the episode ends with Masato just dissolving into sobs. Yeah. She has deduced what has happened. I think she just shoves everything off of her desk and just breaks down sobbing. And she's in the apartment, obviously. And meanwhile, it's like Shinji's in the apartment and he's in his bedroom and he can just he can just out of earshot hear this really loud sobbing. And he knows it's Masato. He doesn't know what it's about, but he just knows that it's sobbing so hard and passionate that he can't leave his room. He doesn't know what to do. Shinji's not a person who knows how to console people. So he just turns over in bed and pulls the pillow over his head and he says... I was just a child. And that's it. Kaji Kaji is no longer with us. Lighters and prayers up. Rip. Rest in power. Rip. Ryoji Kaji. Ryoji Kaji. 
the implication of the scene where uh, Kaji and Masato have sex and Kaji hands off the capsule, uh, combined with the voicemail, create this context where you know that Kaji has died and that basically Masato is going to have to be Kaji now, right? Like Masato has already started to launch her own informal investigation of Nerve. And so the sort of legacy of Ryoi Kaji is at this point in the series left with Masato. All of Kaji's outstanding questions become Masato's responsibility. Masato basically is left to uncover what is left to uncover about the the shady dealings of uh, Sele and Nerve. One last thing I'll say about Kaji is that obviously um, Masato is the character most associated with Kaji. They obviously have a history. There is a whole romantic context for Masato and Kaji. Um, But Kaji, like the memory of Kaji sort of becomes important to the rest of the show, despite how secondary of a character he is, just because there are a lot of characters who have uh, a lot of feelings wrapped up in Kaji. Namely, Asuka has a lot of feelings wrapped up in Kaji. Um, uh, Even, I mean, Shinji also has his own... Again, Kaji is the one male character in the show to this point who has a constructive, warm relationship with Shinji. And then I would also say that, yeah, I mean, if you think about this, the friend dynamic of Kaji, Masato, and Ritsuko, and you think about the fact that there is this growing distance, there's this distrust, there are these increasing hostilities, there are loud, dramatic slaps that are happening between <laughs> Masato and Ritsuko at this phase of the show. Kaji, in some ways, is a comic relief character, but I also kind of think of him kind of like Ed from Cowboy Bebop, where... The characters kind of have this centripetal force around yeah, them. Yeah, like and it's like he's and, silly, but there's also something that is very significant about his presence that you only notice. It's just like Ed and Cowboy Bebop, where you only really notice it the moment he leaves the show, how important he was. We'll we'll, we'll learn all the ways in which Kaji <laughs> Kaji was the heart of a lot of people's yeah. self esteem. I don't know. We're gonna we're gonna talk about it, and we're gonna talk about the last few episodes of the TV series on the next episode of Sound Only. We're gonna cover episodes twenty two through twenty six. We should note. That episode 26 is the TV series finale of Evangelion. And we'll do one more episode after that to cover the feature film finale, the end of Evangelion. But next episode of Sound Only will be our last podcast episode covering the TV series. And also, if you this is and this is the time, this is the time for real to ask questions. So if you are lost about anything, we really will do our best. Bang, bang my line. Hit the hit me on Twitter. And also, not only questions, I feel like now we've we've said enough analytical stuff about I I feel like uh, a lot of character development has happened in the episodes we've covered these last two episodes of the podcast. And apart from questions, I just know, I can feel it. There are people who want to challenge me or your interpretation of certain character dynamics. Oh, absolutely. Because um, don't don't add us with lore shit. Don't be like, mm, actually, like the spear of Longinus. Don't do that. No, add us with shit if you, if you want to challenge our perceptions of, like Shinji's a good example, right? Like I remember in the first episode, we kind of describe Shinji as a whiny little bitch. And I know that there are certain kinds of people who do not like the sort of get in the fucking robot framing of yeah. 
Evangelion and, and, and as a way of talking about Shinji. And yeah, I don't know. I could talk about this stuff all day. And if people have specific questions or specific challenges, right, to how we we framed a lot of these relationships, uh, I think we'd love to unpack them. And I think we will have room to unpack them in the in next, you know, the next episode of Sound Only, because uh, there's a lot of drastic character development. <laughs> that we will, <laughs> A lot of it. Uh, we're excited, man. Tune in later this week. Episodes going up. It's going to be lit. We're doing the movie too, though. Happy Fourth of July. I think that's it. I think that's it. Sound only. Thanks for listening. Sound only. (laughs) Thank you for listening. I just don't like string instruments. I'm sorry. What? Strings, like, come on, get the fuck out of here. What the fuck it is are you the talking about? Like the, uh, you don't like string instruments. Uh, you know me, though. I got the ch- uh, cello. I was correct. I was correct. <laughs> I can't believe that you, like, what is... Listen, how much room do I have in my brain? You got to memorize that there are like 19 different types of brass horn. And then you want me to memorize all the different kinds of strings? Get out of here. Absolutely not. I can't believe that you are taking like the the varied nature of string instruments as a personal affront like it's just like you know what you sound like it's just like i can't i can't be bothered to learn all these new pronouns like everything wow you just go you gonna put me in the colette basket you just compare me to colette because i didn't fuck with strings wow jesus christ i feel like you should also share with everybody like for posterity on this podcast about your take about pizza or maybe like what is the oh shut up now you traded pizza now this is just slander i mean like accusations do you also hate two dollar bills rainbows do you hate when you get two cokes back from the vending machine he turned me into Steve Mnuchin on this Evangelion just, podcast. Yo, man, That's I'm just, up. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to see where your head is at, you know? Okay, all right, whole city behind me still. Anyway, <sighs> anyway.